And we are on air for Fan for Racing Radio. This is Monday night, September the 11th, and we're here for our Kansas 2 NASCAR race review and Hot Topic Sound Off. We're going to start in our first half hour with some short track news. Then we'll review the Arkham Art Series race at Kansas Speedway. Brief update for the Arca East and Arca West Series as well. In our next half hour, we are going to uh, cover the Truck Series race at Kansas. And afterward, uh, uh, Satler and I will comment on the media interview with NASCAR Xfinity Series winner, John Hunter Nemechek. He's the driver of the number 20 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. In the third half hour, at Kansas along with the NASCAR Cup Series. Then you'll want to stay tuned for our Hot Topic Sound Off discussion with our Fan for Racing crew. And uh, I think we'll have a full house with Jay, Andy, and Mike. All So joining me shortly will be our co-host for tonight, and that is Sal Segala. He is back, so we'll look forward to chatting with him. And uh, we'll get into our short track news while we wait. Sal's just getting home from work, so sometimes it takes a little while uh, for him to get on and and get uh, tuned in here. But uh, we'll keep an eye out for that, and uh, I'll go ahead and cover some of the short track news that we have. I'm going to start over at Racing America, and uh, there's a lot going on. ASA Stars National Tour Glass City 200 on Racing America this week. Um, races on Saturday, September the 16th, and it will be at Toledo Speedway. So uh, if you don't have uh, your subscription to race, you'll want to get that so that you can watch that race. Uh, that's one of the big ones that's coming up this week. Also, Zach Prunty gets his first Slinger feature victory at Bernhagen and is crowned the champion. Uh, so uh, he held off a determined Mike Held to capture his first career Uptown Motors Pro Late Model feature victory while Jesse Bernhagen was crowned the 2023 uh, Pro Late Model Track champion. So uh, a lot going on there. You can read about all of that over at... Uh, that was at Slinger Speedway this week, and you can read about that over at Racing America as well. All right. Uh, let me see what else we've got. Uh, Anderson Speedway is going to host the First Responders Night on September 16th. So that's coming up this weekend. Uh, the, the We'll show the respect and appreciation for our first responders and their families by gaining free admission to all active first responders with a valid ID and a guest of their choice. So uh, that's going to be at Anderson Speedway this weekend, and uh, I'd really encourage folks uh, to take part in that. All right, uh, the third Dash for Cash signals the midweek program of 2023 at Thompson Speedway this weekend. Wednesday, as a matter of fact, that's uh, midweek, and that's at Thompson Speedway on the Oval. And, again, you can read all about the details of that race over at Racing America. I'm kind of bouncing back and forth here, keeping an eye for when uh, South 
Uh, okay, Crump is searching for an elusive last hundred victory. Uh, that's going to be – he's one of the people that, of course, uh, has entered for that red. And, uh, combined, Glass City 200 appearances, Law and Template, Super Late Models, Kyle Crump has finished second four of those eight times. So uh, you can read a, from about Kyle Crump over at Racing America and the upcoming Glass City 200. And then another feature that's over there is fresh off a test set, Bubba Pollard. Uh, will complete the Glass City 200, and you can read that feature over at um, Racing America. I'm going to move over to Flow Racing because uh, we can highlight uh, there's the results from the 50 World 100 at Eldora Speedway. Uh, Eldora this past week. Jason O'Neill came out the winner. Jonathan Davenport finished in second. And, uh, again, you can uh, see all the details of uh, that race over at, uh, those races, I should say, but the World 100 race specifically over at Flow Racing. Uh, they'll have a replay of that race available there. Um, Late models are going to take over Knoxville Raceway this week. Uh, the $50,000 to win Knoxville Dirt Late Model Nationals is live on MAV-TV on Flow Racing September 14th to 16th uh, with the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series. So uh, that is a do-not-miss event out at uh, Knoxville uh, Raceway this weekend. Uh, let's see. There's a storyline here. Kink and Jonathan Davenport's World 100 game plan. Uh, Hudson O'Neill, we've already outlined, he won that race. Uh, Jonathan Davenport came in second, but there's an article about flow racing if you want to check that out. Also, after the checkers, breaking down the Cars Tour barn burner, Matt Dillner, Dillner and James Pike break down a barn burner with the Cars Tour at New River All-American Speedway in Jacksonville, North Carolina. That's available over at Flow Racing as well. And let's see. <clears throat> they also have an After the Checkers breaking down the World 100. Derek Kessinger and Kevin Kovac break down the storylines uh, from that race, if you want to check that out. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> Brendan Butterbean McQueen held off a last lap challenge from Ronnie Bassett Jr. to win the Cars Tour Carolina 125 at New River All-American Speedway, and uh, there's a video about that uh, over at uh, Racing, I'm sorry, Flow Racing as well. So uh, check out all the uh, uh, racing from this past weekend. Uh, Matt Westfall wins his first USAC race in 17 years uh, at Texarkana, uh, and so also around the World 100 victory at Eldora, 50 years of relief for Mark Richards. You can read about that over at Flow Racing as well. So a lot of really good information available there. Of course, on Thursday, Jay and I will tell you about the upcoming races coming up this weekend as well. 
moving over to short track scene, Jake Crum's side. Uh, this is in regard to the NASCAR Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series from Hickory Motor Speedway. And Jake Crum believes there's uh, some missing context when it comes to an incident that took place there. Uh, you can read about that over at Short Track Scene. Um, Connor Hall sweeps the penultimate Langley race at Saturday, and that's the next our Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series as well. Evan Schotko won at Berlin, the finale there. Brian Campbell is the champion. Uh, bon Signor back in the Mod Tour title hunt uh, with a Monadnock win. So uh, you can read about all of these. That's the NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour. Super Late Models, the 2023 Snowball Derby features a record purse and payouts. Uh, you can check that out over at under the super late models over at uh, short track scene and uh, Carson Quapple he came in second in the truck race this past week he goes postal closing on second cars title again you can read about that uh, and also with the cars late model stock tour Caden Honeycutt's buried schedule runs through coastal. So uh, you can check all that out over at Short Track Scene. Um, let me see if there's anything else. I think I've kind of caught everybody up there. Let me go over to the SRL. I was kind of waiting for Sal on this one because I know he follows the SRL. He was up in Stockton, I think, this past weekend as well. The Spears Southwest Tour Allied Breaks 100 is on September 16th at Irwindale Speedway. They're paying 7333 to the winner, plus the Spears Pro Late and Modified Series is going to be racing. So uh, that's uh, pretty cool. The next event, uh, let me see. If I can get that event schedule. Okay. It looks like the next event is Friday, November 24th. That seems um, kind of late. This is for the Super Late Model Tour. And uh, the Freedom Factory Super Late Model Race. And uh, it'll be the weekend of the 24th and the 25th with the race on the 25th. So uh, you'll want to check that out over at srlsouthwesttour.com and they have their own TV over there as well uh, the Spears uh, Modified is on uh, MAV TV and then they've got the Spears Racing TV over at that site as well where you can catch a lot of these events it's the eighth the rate, next race I was talking about is the 8th annual Bill, Bill Bigley Senior Memorial 128 at Freedom Factory on November the 25th so Sal is here now. He might have more information about that. Welcome to the show, Sal, and welcome back. Oh, good evening, Sharon. Thank you. We were just talking about the next uh, national event for the SRL series, uh, that Bill Bigley Senior Memorial. Um, is that one that you're planning to go to? No, it's way out of my area. Oh, is that okay? Yeah, it's too far. I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna go well, all the way out there. 
I'm doing the one. We're having one Saturday over here at the Spirit Southwest tour. Yeah, that's a good one, Dale. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we talked about that when we were about. Yeah, I, I don't do none of the nationals. They're they're too they're too, too far, far out. But yeah. didn't you go to Stockton? Yeah, Stockton's Stockton's not a national though. Stockton's the the Southwest tour. Yeah, I got it. I understand that. Um, yeah, but, no, uh, I went to Stockton. I'm saying we have the Southwest tour, then they have the then they have the the national tour or. Yes, so I understand. It, it, it's the so. same, yeah, it's the same series, but they're just two different kind of like, I don't know, divisions, I guess you would say. Divisions, that's right. They're two separate divisions, absolutely. And then inside of that, you got the super late models, the pro late models as well. So Shepard is going to yeah. look for two in a row at Irwindale Speedway. There's a feature about that over at uh, the com site. And Nick Cooper hits the road again for Irwindale Speedway uh, and the race that's uh, taking place there this weekend. Yeah, Buddy hasn't raced in. He only picks uh, he only picks uh, a few races now. Before, he used to run the tour full-time, and then um, uh, then he ended up getting um, uh, having a baby, stuff like that, and sponsorship money which just wasn't there, so... He had to cut back his schedule a lot, so now he just picks and chooses the, you know, the races he wants to run. He likes he, he likes running the no. track, like he likes running the half mile, like Irondale and Kern. He likes running. He doesn't like running Stockton and All America Speedway and those other tracks because the they're small little short tracks and the and the the, the crash the crash uh, the crashing is just the wrecking is just it's out of hand, just like. Just like in Stockton, only five, only six mm-hmm. cars finished. Five cars on the lead lap. It was it was and there was fourteen cars that started. It's just it, it's just a crash fest. It's a I mean these guys are racing. I don't know. I don't really have their head, but so so that's kind of why buddy he just got tired of fixing race cars all the time. Okay, okay. Well, let's go ahead and move on to the. Um... Arkham Menard Series, they raced this weekend out at Kansas Speedway. And Jesse Love, who has nine wins on the season, Sal, uh, didn't win this one, which was a matter of fact, he was out of the race kind of early. He ran into some early issues. But Connor Mosack breaks through for his first Arkham victory at Kansas Speedway this weekend. So uh, it was a big weekend uh, for uh that uh, Joe Gibbs Racing Team. Oh yeah, it was yeah. Connor kind of went took the once after Jesse had the problem with thirty on, and Connor just kind of took control from there, and um, and uh, that was basically it. <laughs> yep, yep, that was basically it. Um, Mosack earned that General Tire Pole Award in his debut outing at Daytona and led a race high twenty five laps. Uh, and was second behind Greg Van Alt. Following four starts, Mosack led 26 more laps and finished inside the top 10 each time, which included matching his career best performance of second at Pocono Raceway. So this was uh, 
he knew it was just a matter of time before he'd finally get that win. And it was this weekend in the Sioux Chief Fast Track 150 uh, that he was able to come up with the victory. Yes, it was. It was a, like I said, it was a good, it was a dominant win and a solid win. And a, you know, congratulations to Connor on the on the um, on the race win. Okay, I'm going to pull up the uh, race results, Sal, and we can go down the list here. Of the uh, I'll go down the list of the finishers, and then you can comment if you'd like. Uh, there were only two cars that finished on the lead lap. That's how dominating the performance was. Uh, it was Connor Mosack and Carson Quaffle who finished all 100 laps. Everybody else was a lap or more down. Um, and then Tony Breidinger, uh, had 99 laps in. She finished third. LaVar Scott in fourth. Jake Finch finished in fifth. Christian Rose, uh, the last driver to finish with 99 laps, finished in sixth place. Uh, finishing with 98 laps were Scott Melton, Dean Thompson, and Mandy Chick, one of the local favorites. And then uh, Andy Jakaliwak, uh put in 97 laps, rounding out the top ten. Any thoughts there with the top ten finishers, Sal? Yeah, it was it was uh it was it was sick to see the uh to see him almost slap the whole field. I mean um wow. That's I how mean, I, I couldn't believe it. Oh yeah, I mean if, if that last if that last caution would have come out he he probably might even lap Connor or Carson Quapple too. Shoot. If he hadn't had any caution, he'd have lapped himself. That's how fast he was, but um, yep. yeah, the lap, um, the lap, uh, basically, twenty twenty one cars started the race, and he lapped nineteen of them. Twenty, actually, yeah, nineteen of them. That's pretty. Uh, that's pretty amazing. It is. It's really amazing. Uh, I will say, uh, for the uh, Arkham Menard series, that was the seventeenth race of the season. And now there will be three more races left for them to decide their championship. Uh, but uh, do you have, let's see if we can pull up the points here and go over the points for the Arkham Arts here. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody's going to catch uh, – no, there ain't nobody going to catch um, Jesse Love. Jesse Love's leading the points. Um, second is Andres Perez de Lara. He's 129 points back. And then from there you got Frankie Munez, who's 150 points back in third. So um, there's just no way these guys can none of these guys can catch him. And then fourth you got Christian Rose, fifth you got John Garrett. And then from there then you go to sixth is AJ Moyer, seventh is Brad Smith, eighth is uh, William Sawalich, ninth is Tony Breidinger, and tenth is Jack Wood. Yeah, and and really only five of those drivers have finished all. Well, six of those drivers have raced all 17 of those races. So um, it's really amazing. Jesse Love has the best stats, of course. His average start at 3.5, his average finish at 4.5. This weekend was not uh, one of his best races. Uh, Like I said, he he ended up... uh, uh, finishing multiple laps down, and in fact, he finished uh, what place was that? Nineteenth place. 
uh, 76 laps down. So he had an issue early in the race, uh, but it kind of <laughs> he still kept him a dominant lead in the standings. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's got a he's got a monster beat. I mean, he just he just has a monster beat. I mean. <laughs> Like I said, Nine there, there's nobody. Yeah, nobody's going to catch him. I mean, they're talking about that on the during the truck race because he ran the truck race too, and they're talking mm-hmm. about what went on with Arco and race. And they said that it's just it's just amazing the you know the the um, the lead that he has. It is. You know, one thing that I was noticing today when I was kind of preparing for tonight, um, seven drivers, Connor Mozak is the seventh first-time winner in the Arkham Menard Series this weekend. Greg Van Oltz, uh got his first win at Daytona. Then it was Tanner Rice at Phoenix. Uh, William Sawalich won his first race at Berlin Raceway. Tyler Ankrum, actually his first Arkham Menard Series win was at Mid-Ohio this week, this year. Luke Fenhouse won at Iowa Speedway for his first win. And Brett Cruz won at Illinois State Fairgrounds. Um, otherwise, Connor Mosack, of course, this weekend out at Kansas. Uh, otherwise, it's been Jesse Love or William Sawalich are the only ones that have been multiple winners. This yeah, season. Williams, well, well, he's only got two, but other than that, um, yeah. Jeff Love has all the rest besides the, besides the drivers you just mentioned. Correct. It's it's really been an amazing season. Three more races left. You got Bristol Motor Speedway coming up on September 14th, Salem Speedway on September 30th, and then the final race of the season will be at Toledo Speedway, the Shore Lunch 200 presented by CGS Imaging, that's on October the 7th. And that's when the uh, season will end for the ARCA Menard Series. Uh, For the ARCA East, uh, their next race is coming up. Whoops. I thought I had that here. Yeah, their next race is coming up this weekend. Actually, it's a combination race with the ARCA East and the ARCA Menard Series uh, coming up this week. It'll be on Thursday night uh, at Bristol Motor Speedway, September the 14th at 6 p.m. Eastern. It will be covered on Fox Sports 1. So it's another big weekend, this time at Bristol Motor Speedway, where we're going to have uh, the ARCA Menard Series combination event. And then all three series are racing uh, this weekend as well. It's going to be a good weekend for racing. Well, you know, this is the season finale for the Arca East. So Already? They're, they're, yeah. They're going to end their season at Bristol Motor Speedway. And then for the Arca Menard Series West, uh, their next race is September 30th at 10.45 p.m. at All-American Speedway. And that one will be available via live streaming on Flow Racing. But they have uh, a few more races left on their schedule. Yeah, we still got that. Yeah, then we still have the um, uh, yeah. we still have the bowling in, in Las Vegas, and then Madeira, and then uh, Phoenix will be the last one. 
Yeah, and then I will be at the Bull Ring again this year on October 13th uh, for the Star Nursery 150. So I look forward to seeing you there, Sal. And then on October 21st is Madera Speedway, and November 3rd at Phoenix Raceway will be their their uh, season finale for the Arca West. So let's let's uh, hit the point standings for the Arca East and the Arca West while we have time. Okay. Uh, let's see. Arca East. Um, you still got uh, Will Sawalich, who's uh, leading the points. And you got Luke Fenhouse in second. Um, LeVar Scott in third. Zachary Tinkle in fourth. Uh, let's see. Tim Monroe in fifth. And then from there, then we go to uh, Dale Sherrard in sixth, Sean Hingarini in seventh, Rita Goulet in eighth, Brad Smith in ninth, and Jake Finch uh, rounds out the top ten. Now, this one's a little bit closer. It's between William Sawalich and Luke Fenhouse. They just have 20 points separating them. Uh, but William Sawalich has had an amazing season as well. He's got a 1.6 average start and a 2.1 average finish. That's pretty impressive in seven races. Oh yeah, it is. He's, he's, he has been having a good season, and he's been um, dabbling in another another uh, series also too. So um, you know, he's getting a lot of seat time this year, and I'm curious to see what he's going to run, what he has on the schedule for uh, next for 2024. Yeah, me too. I'm kind of looking forward to that too, uh, to see what's up, what he's going to do there. Okay, and then I want to make sure we cover the standings for the ARCA West as well. So let's go ahead and cover that, that standings. Okay, we still got really uh, Sean running. Yeah, still got Sean Hingarani leading by one point over Landon Lewis. Trevor Huddleston in third. Tyler Rice in fourth. Bradley Erickson in fifth. And then from there, then you go down to sixth is uh, Tanner Rice. Seventh is Todd Sousa. Eighth is Kyle Keller. Ninth is Eric Nascimento. And rounding out the top ten is uh, Takuma Koga. Yeah, this one's quite a bit tighter uh, between the uh, drivers. Plus, you've got uh, a few more races to go as well. Like we mentioned, four more races left on the schedule here for the ARCA West. So I think it's going to be fun to see how this uh, plays out. Oh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it, like you said, to see how, how the how the season finishes for them with Sean and Landon going back and forth. And actually, 24 points back for Trevor isn't, isn't really that bad, especially when they get to Phoenix where they're, they're going to have a big, exactly. cart, uh, a big card count. And uh, the more cards they have, that means the more points it's going to be up for grabs. So if Trevor could get within five, six points of these guys, ten points, it's going to be a, it's going to be a battle, one heck of a battle for the championship. And even Tyler Reif, who's, who's only 28 points out. Yes. He, he still has a good, I, I think... a good chance at the championship. Yeah, this one is obviously the closest race of the three series. Uh, and so certainly the 
Arco West is the series uh, to keep your eye on as uh, they go into these next four races. Okay. Um, I know we're a couple minutes early, but let's go ahead and get into the uh, NASCAR Truck Series. Uh, they, again, all three series raced at Panzer Speedway this past weekend. Uh, for the Arco West, uh, this was an elimination race. I mean, sorry, Barco West. For the NASCAR Truck Series, this was an elimination race at Kansas Speedway, but it was Christian Eckes who came in with the win at age 22, driving the number 19 Peak Napa Night Vision Chevrolet for McAnally Hilgeman Racing. Uh, that was pretty cool to see. Uh, Charles Denneke is the uh, crew chief for that team. It was his fourth victory in 87 NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series races, his third victory in the 11th top 10 finish this year, and the first victory in sixth top 10 finish in eight races at Kansas. Taylor Gray finished in second, posting his second top 10 finish in two races at Kansas, and his fifth top 10 in this season. Matt DiBenedetto finished third. He posted his second top ten finish in four races at Kansas. And Taylor Gray, who finished second, was the highest finishing rookie of that race. And I just want to kind of go over the recap here of uh, the Kansas Lottery 200. Um, <clears throat> Christian Eckes grabbed the lead on the final restart and to hold the victory on Friday night's Kansas Lottery 200 in the round of 10 elimination race in the Craftsman Truck Series. In a three-ride battle uh, for the lead against Corey Hyman and Zane Smith, Eckes led only the final two laps to secure his third victory of the season, his first at Kansas and the fourth of his career. Um, Following a restart with just two laps left, Eckes took it three wide again with Corey Hyman, Zane Smith, and came out on top uh, to get that series victory. Taylor Gray again was in second. Max Benedetto finished in third, but it wasn't quite at what he needed. Uh, Corey Hyman in fourth. Then it was Zane Smith rounding out the top five. The race was the cutoff for the next round of the playoffs, the round of eight, and despite finishing third, uh, again, it wasn't enough for DiBenedetto. He, miss, he misses the next round by just five points behind Ben Rhodes. Rhodes had a rough final stage and had to pit under green twice because of a vibration. He ended up finishing 25th. Teammate and three-time past champion Matt Crafton's night was even worse, though. Uh, Crafton began the race at the rear of the field. He had an incident in practice that, that forced the team to a backup. He worked his way through the field but bounced off the wall and had to make many pit stops for repairs. He ended the night in 33rd place, and he failed to advance to that next round. That was that was uh, kind of uh, a disappointment. Carson Hosevar, he won stage two. He finished, second. he finished in sixth place, followed by Stuart Friesen, Nick Sanchez, who won the opening stage, Tyler Ankrum and Jake Drew closed out the top 10. The pole sitter, Kate Purdy, ended up in 14th. He was one lap down after pinning under green for a vibration. There were 18 lead changes among 11 drivers and five cautions for 34 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 
0.960 miles per hour. And the margin of victory in this race was 0.363 thousandths of a second. Your thoughts about the top 10 finishers, Sal? Yeah, I I never expected Chris Jenkins to to, um, come in and – and grabbed that win the way he did. Corey Heim looked like the like the driver that was going to do it. Even Carson Hosovar for a while, but Corey Heim just had the truck to beat. And um, you know to see uh, what that would ensued after that last uh, restart. You know, um, Christian got in there and uh, you know kind of pushed Zane Smith out and and uh, you know and and uh, Corey and. Carson, and then you know, then you see Matt Matt uh, De uh, Benedetto who needed the win in order to advance. You know, here he made the announcement that he's not coming back to Rackley War Racing next week or next week next right. season. You know, so he was hoping to get that win, you know, to advance to the playoffs. You know what? And, and you know, and uh, like you said, you know, it, you know, it, it would have been a, uh, you know, it would have been nice for his resume, but. This, it wouldn't be, you know, he didn't get the win. Christian ended up with the win. Bill McAnally racing, and uh, you know, congrats to Christian on the win. Congrats to Bill for getting that win. And uh, it was a, it was a really good, uh, really good, good uh, contested race. It really was. It was uh, amazing. Uh, I will say there were 34 of the 36 cars who finished the race. Uh, but only 13 cars finished on the lead lap and finished all 134 laps. Uh, the rest of them uh, finished mo- one or more laps down. <clears throat> Spencer Davis was out on lap for one. He had a uh, suspension issue right away. And then uh, Mason Maggio was out on lap 117 because of an accident, but those were the only two that did not finish the race. So uh, pretty interesting there. We talked about Jesse Love and how dominant he's been in the Arkham Menard Series. He finished 13th in this race at Kansas. Yeah, you know, that's uh, you know it's a, that was a good uh, good finish for him. You know, uh, you know after, after the issues that he had on um, – after the issues he had on, uh, you know, in the in the, in the Arca West race, Arca West in the Arca race, so, you know, I'm sure he was he was happy for that, you know, excited for that finish, you know what, and um, you know, to get the uh, experience he needs, you know, they're talking about what where's Jesse going to go next year, you know, I don't think I don't think he's going to continue in the Arca in the Arca series. I think he's going to move up. They haven't made any oh, yeah. announcements. You know, but I'm sure it's it's not. I'm sure Arca is not going to be the. It's not going to be the uh, series we're going to see him in next year. I'm sure he's going to move up to probably the trucks. Um, no announcements have been made. That nothing's been said. So I guess just like everybody else, we just got to sit back and wait. Yep, I agree with you. I think uh, Jesse has certainly shown. Uh, that he is uh, talented enough to be in the truck series for sure. And uh, I can't wait to hear which team he goes to. I've got an idea of which team it might be uh, because he's part of that Toyota camp, but we'll have to kind of wait and see how that plays out. Yeah, it's going to – I mean, with Kyle Busch moving to to Chevy, 
you know what? I mean, Carl mm-hmm. Busch Motorsports is out of is out of the picture for him, which would have been a good fit for him. You know, since Carl, you know, knows how to fill the winning teams, and you know, and groom drivers like that. So, um, you know, it's just a matter of just you know, like same thing with him. You know, just waiting. You know, and seeing what's gonna, you know, what's gonna transpire at the end of the season. What he's gonna, you know, where he's gonna, where he's gonna end up. That's true. That's true. Uh, do you want to cover the uh, points report here, Sal? Yeah, let me see. On the points we're looking at, um, uh, Corey Heim leading the points. Uh, Christian Eckes in second. Carson Hosevar in third. Grant Infinger in fourth. Zane Smith in fifth. And then from there, then we go to Nick Sanchez in sixth, Ben Rhodes in seventh, Matt D. Benedetto in eighth, Matt Crafton in ninth, and Ty Majeski in tenth. But since we have the reset, um, let me see where um, Jeski has the reset right here. Yeah, he's got the whole here, – here you go. He's got it right here. So he's got um, – the driver reset is going to be uh, – Corey Heim is still going to be leading the series. Um, six points back is going to be Christian Eckes. Six points back is Grant Enfinger. Eight points back is Carson Hosevar. Eight points back is Dane Smith. Ty Majewski is 14 points. Ben Rhodes is 17. And Nick Sanchez will be 24 points when they start the next round. So Nick Sanchez is sitting on the bubble of the of the eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, of course, it was Matt De Benedetto and Matt Crafton uh, that did not yeah, move that, on that, to the round of eight. Yeah, they got eliminated. Yeah. So um, uh, it, it's uh, kind of sad to see that happen because uh, Matt, of course, is a veteran of the sport, and uh, a lot of us would have liked to have seen that. Same with Matt Benedetto. A lot of people would have wanted to see him uh, advance on. But uh, it, now we're just waiting to see where he goes next season. Where yeah, Matt, Matt Crafton talked about season. it. He already gave the hint that he's going to be coming back. You know, but he he just mm-hmm. had – he just he, – he had – he was too far behind the eight ball to really, you know, mm-hmm. to really, really make anything happen. I mean, they, the team tried, they tried, they tried, but you know what? At the end, you know, this truck just, you know, just wasn't. I've been, I just wasn't what he needed. Yeah. Matt had been, uh, I'm sorry, Nick Sanchez. I've been really impressed with him this season, Sal. Yeah, they're talking about him, and they're talking about how impressed they are, you know, um, you know how far he's going to go in the playoffs. But, you know, I think he still has another year or two left, you know, before, you know, he can, oh, yeah. he can really say, you know, he's a, you know, he's a really solid championship contender. But it's going to be exciting, you know, to see him, you know, go, go through these playoffs. You know, I mean, he could be a, a dark horse, you know, and really he come out, you know, and uh, – yeah, you know, and, and come out, you know, and uh, 
you know, and, and really show these guys, you know, who's, uh, you know. So, like I said, it's going to be uh, it's going to be exciting as the playoffs as the playoffs continue. Well, he's already uh, clinched his place as the rookie of the year in the Truck Series. He's the only rookie that's in the playoffs this season. And I would say he's had some impressive runs. He was in the top ten uh, this past weekend at Kansas. We've got uh, Bristol coming up this weekend, and uh, it's going to be fun to see what he does there. Um, any early predictions for who's going to win at Bristol? No, nah, not really. It's it's uh, it's going to be tough, you know. Um, You know, you got a lot of you got a lot of good good drivers in the series, and uh, I don't know. It's it's, it's, it's going to be hard. It, it, chances are, it might even be a non a non. Uh, it might be a non um, uh, playoff contender. You know. Yeah, it very well could be. You're right. You know, but right, I, I think I. I yeah, I I think. Um, uh, what Zane Smith, I think, is really going to make a, uh, a hard push now. You know, to try to try and grab you know a win before the before the playoffs are over. Okay. Well, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and move on, uh, Sal, now to our media interview with John Hunter Nemechek. He was the winner of the NASCAR Xfinity Series race at Kansas Speedway this weekend. He drives the number 20 for Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. And uh, we've got his media interview here, and I want to make sure we uh, play. It's 10 minutes and 55 seconds. If we get started early, we, we might be able to hear the entire interview so uh, let's go ahead and get started with that now, okay? And then we'll comment on it afterwards. Okay. We are now joined by the winner of tonight's NASCAR Xfinity Series race, John check driver of the number 20 in the Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. This is Toyota's 200 NASCAR Xfinity win and of Toyota's 200 Wins. Joe Gibbs Racing is responsible for 193 of those victories. Um, so if you have any questions, please raise your hand, and we'll get a wireless mic to you. Um, we're going to start from the back. Hi, Todd Ingalls uh, with the Kansas City Star. Uh, the broadcast shared a photo of celebrating with your dad. I think you're eight, six, or seven. I was just wondering if you um, remember that anything about that weekend at all, and how nice is it to be able to, you know, celebrate in the same place where you saw your dad have success? This place has been a lot to my family. Um, 2004, dad was driving the Army car on Sunday. I think the Cellular One car on Saturday. Um, I remember being a kid at the playground in the bus lot, playing on the playground. Uh, I remember going down the slide, and uh, after he had won, uh, we got shuttled to Victory Lane. Couldn't come in because there was alcohol being thrown, I remember, until after the fact. Um, but it was awesome to be able to come to Victory Lane here with him in 2004 and then uh, getting my first NASCAR Xfinity Series win here in 2018 as well. So um, this place has meant a lot to not only myself, but um, our whole, whole entire family. All right, and we'll move on to Lee. Spencer, catch, catch, stop, um, 
you know, when it comes to life disruptors, you, you've got a playful, you know, you, you moved this year, you had a baby, um, well, your wife did, but, you know, you're, you have a new job coming up, right? You're running for a championship and then have all the stressors that come in, involved with that. How are you keeping that together? Uh, to be honest with you, um, it's, I guess it's easier said than done, um, but for me, it's, it's all about focusing on what I can focus on and controlling what I can control. Um, my future, I didn't know what it held. Uh, I, I didn't know um, how the second baby was going to turn out, if we would be getting sleep, sleepless nights or actually getting some sleep um, and then moving and everything else this year. It's definitely been a big year for, for myself and my family. But um, all in all, when it comes down to it, um, I have a great wife at home that, helps take care of Aspen and Penelope to let me live out my dream. And uh, some great people around me at Joe Gibbs Racing um, that, that push me to be better every single day um, that that I have thoroughly enjoyed working with so far this year um, and over the last couple of years. And um, it's, it's one big family. It's one big team. Uh, we do everything that we can to help each other out. And uh, there's times where I may be stressed or one of the team guys may be stressed or whatever it may be, but when we get here to race weekend, it, it's full focus ahead on the, the task at hand. With with the news coming out this week, I, I don't feel like it was a huge stressor for me. Um, with, with myself and in this team, uh, we've set a lot of goals coming into this year as a 20-team at Joe Gibbs Racing. Um, and we still have to accomplish quite a few of those goals through the playoffs and trying to go get the championship. So uh, a lot of work to be done. Um, 2024, I can focus on 2024 when 2024 comes. Um, but for right now, that's not even crossing my mind. It's, it's full focus on this Xfinity Series championship each and every race through the playoffs and, and what it's going to take to go get this championship. We'll come up to the front to Brooklyn and then we'll move on. What is the momentum of winning the Xfinity race you're going into tomorrow's race? Uh, well, I'm not racing tomorrow, so um, I'm I'm actually on a flight home to today. Um, but to to answer that question this way, uh, the momentum that we've created today as the regular season finale cutoff um, for for us to be able to take this momentum and and run with it into Bristol next week uh, for, for the first round of the, of the playoffs is definitely going to be something special and something that we, we can use to our advantage. Um, it, it's all about building mo- momentum in this sport. Right. We're going to Zach. Zach Six wins this year for you. Obviously, we've, we've talked about what this move meant for you uh, to go back through the gamut of trucks and strategy to cup. You certainly expect to to have some level of success, but six wins in the regular season, um, despite coming uh, coming up short in the regular season championship. How do you assess what this regular season was for you in this 2020? Oh, it's super special. Um, we've we've had great success. Uh, we've we've definitely won our fair share of races, um, but I feel like we've also given up quite a few races that we probably should have won, um, and and those will stick with you. Um, but for, for us to have a great regular season, um, I've had great regular seasons in the past and, uh, I've struggled a little bit in the playoffs for whatever reason that may be. Um, but this year it's different mentality, different mindset, um, different team, different group. 
Um, a lot of factors are playing into that. And we knew coming into the year that we would be a force to reckon with, um, with, with a team that was assembled around me at Joe Gibbs Racing uh, with myself. Uh, I believe in them, and I feel like they believe in me. We work very, very hard. Uh, there, there's a lot of time spent uh, at the shop with, with myself and Ben and the engineers and all of the guys on the 20 team. And um, we pick each other's brain. We rely on each other. Um, but we each have our single job to do. Um, and, and I atmosphere that we've created around the 20 team has definitely led uh, to, to success this year. Um, but at Joe Gibbs Racing, we're all one team. We all strive for success. And uh, however that happens with, with having two teammates at the racetrack every weekend and make many series, we rely a lot on each other. So the team dynamic is, is huge. All right. And we will come to the front to Bob first, and then we'll move to the left side of the front. Uh, Bob Packers, Fox Sports. Uh, what's bigger, you're, you're 43 points up on ninth for the cutoff or the first round. But you're also 34 points up on this right now in points. It's how like, I know anything can happen, but what 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 does the mean? I think each and every one of those points means something, right? Um, from from the standpoint of, of having uh, a big cushion, I, I guess I should say. Um, when you go into the first round, you you still want to go win races. Um, and, and you have strategy going into to the first round. But we, uh, we've we done some metrics on our end as far as um, if we don't win a race in the first round, kind of where we need to finish based off the, the playoff points that we have to advance and then the second round of an average finish through the round. So um, it's, uh, it's kind of crazy to, to look at those statistics, but I'm more of a numbers guy and statistics guy. So when it comes down to it, um, knowing kind of what you need to accomplish every single weekend. Um, I, I guess you can say that those points will give you a cushion if you have a bad week, but if you have a bad week in the playoffs, normally that's not very good. So no bad weeks. All right, we'll move over to Harry. Hi, Harry Loomis, uh, Loomis Congrats on the win, y'all. Um, you know, you've been doing really well a mile and a half this year. I think you've had top tens every single race. Um, you know, looking at the playoffs, you've got Texas, you've got Vegas, you've got Homestead. How important is it, or what can you learn from uh, today to try to add some more bonus points uh, going into trying to get to Phoenix? <laughs> Man, I, I just love Kansas. Uh, most of the mile and a half that we've been to have been really successful. Uh, Joe Gibbs Racing as an organization has been strong at mile and a half racetracks. We've been strong, strong at short tracks. We've been strong at pretty much every place this year, which has been an amazing uh, attribute to the team. Um, so for for myself, the mile and a half program is definitely something special. So being able to to race here in Kansas, um, and then we have Vegas, Homestead, Texas. Those all the mile and a half, I think, um, that that we go to um, for the rest of the year. It it just puts a smile on my face. Um, you, you can never say that you're going to go win every mile and a half race, right? But we know that we have the cars to do so, um, but the hard work doesn't stop. We have to continue to improve every single day and every single week. Cool. 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 with the Arizona Republic. Congratulations, Sean Hunter. Um, you mentioned you're a big numbers and statistics guy. Uh, six wins, most laps led. What statement does this send to the competition going into the playoffs, in your opinion? Um... I guess we're worth to be reckoned with. Um, 
Uh, I mean, it, it means a lot to me to to be, I guess, the top seed going into the playoffs. But then again, the, the top seed doesn't mean very much if you don't advance. So um, it's all about advancing. We have any additional questions for John Hunter? All right, get him like to. I didn't remember. Did you get two hundred the two hundredth Xfinity win for? Oh yes, yes for for JGR. So you got the double double, right? And yeah. I mean, I know TRD has been so supportive of your relationship. It has to mean a lot to get this milestone as well. It does. Being able to get 200 wins for Toyota uh, on the Xfinity side is is something special. Um, I think what makes it even more special is after my year in Cup in 2020, the opportunity that I had to go truck racing uh, with Kyle Busch. It wouldn't have happened without KB or Toyota TRD in the internals there. And then to go Xfinity racing, it wouldn't have happened without uh, uh, Coach um, Coy and a lot of others that were involved in, in bringing me over to JGR as well. So um, as well as Toyota TRD. So they, they mean a lot to me. Uh, I'm glad to continue uh, my relationship with them for the future, and um, hopefully we can win a lot more races together. Any additional questions? All right. Thank you so much, Sean Hunter. Thank you, Congratulations. Okay, Sal. Uh, your thoughts about uh, what John Hunter had to say here? Yeah, I mean, he has to be satisfied, you know, with the position that he's in, you know, as far as, you know, with the, how his season's going. Plus, you know, you know, he's – Real, uh, how do you say, real comfortable now because now he knows where he's going to be at next season. So, um, you know, of course, you know, you're going to hear, you know, positive things from him, especially, like I said, how he's, you know, how well he's doing this season. Um, you know, he, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's neat to hear him, you know, talk about, you know, the way he's talking about Joe Gibbs racing, you know, give him, you know, give him a lot of the credit for this because, you know, they're the ones that, that, pushed him to where he's at right now and um you know it's uh it's uh you know it's just a testament you know to the to the, to the organization but you know also you know i'm sure having the, the kids now you know and the wife you know really settled him <laughs> down a lot you know and made and made him really you know realize you know how important you know life is rather than just go out and be a knucklehead all the time you know, um, well, so it's just. But it's a stressor too. Those are all stressor events that were outlined there. You know, a new home, yeah. <laughs> a new baby, um, you know, a new team he's preparing for. So that's a lot of. <clears throat> yeah, it is. But I mean, when you have a good supporting cast. You know, it makes Absolutely. it easy. You know, I'm not saying, you know, I'm, you know, I mean, you know, like, you know, the position that he's in right now, you know, with the team, you know, where they're at, you know, and then plus, you know, with the, having a wife, you know, and, you know, and stuff like that, you know, I mean, it just, it makes, you know, it, it makes, I'm not saying it makes life easier. It just makes life more easier to, um, to, uh, transition to to realize what comes. Yeah, I'm trying to look for something here. Mm. Because JC doesn't have it, but, you know, it's, you know, he he knows he's going to make a big transition next year, but you know what? 
he's more focused on take care of business this year, you know, and, and, and pleasing. That championship means a lot. He's he's seen he's seen a lot of drivers and what can happen, you know, by mm-hmm. you know having having this kind of a season and not being able to finish it off. You know, I'm sure I'm sure he looks back at what happened to Noah Gregson last year, you know, and um, you know Noah wasn't able to uh, you know to finish it off, you know, and and grab that championship. You know, well, so I'm, and, I'm sure. And- he seems super focused for sure this season. Oh yeah. Um, and and I think he's taking first things first, and dealing with what's what he has to deal with today, kind of the attitude. And I think that's going to be great. But I do look forward to seeing what he does in the twenty four. I'm sorry, in the forty two next season at uh, uh, Legacy Motor Club, and uh, racing with yeah. Eric Jones. I know that's that that team is a hot mess. I mean, you know what? Um, well, Eric had a good uh, run. This I mean, week. yeah, you know, but you know, uh, that's like Hosovar had a good run. You know, a, a lot better run than Noah ever had in that car. You know, was Noah ready for Cup? No, Noah was not ready for Cup. You know, is Hosovar mm-hmm. ready for Cup? Hosovar is not even close to being ready for Cup. Did Hosovar have a good run and probably have some luck on his side? Probably did, you know. Went out there, you know what? It was a it was a one off race, you know what? And you know, and and you know, and, and taking over that seat, you know, for the one race, you know, you're a lot more comfortable, you know, than knowing that you have a whole season, you know, you have to prove yourself, especially after after not winning a Canon West Championship when you had it in the bag, and th- th- then you had a you had an Xfinity Championship go and be the dominant driver, then now you come into you know a team yeah. like this, you know. Yeah. And John Hunter Nemechek is more, and and John Hunter's coming in more, you know, more more relaxed and more, you know, focused. I I just more yeah. I mean, yeah, focused. I'm not saying you know. Noah's probably focused too, but I just think that I think what the word we're trying to find is more mature. Yeah, that's what we're okay, trying to find. Mature. True. He's coming in. He's coming in yeah. more mature, and he and you can tell well, by he's got his family. I mean, this, but, he's further I mean, along in life, in a way. Yeah. Oh yeah, but yes, to his I interview, agree. you know, he's 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 thanking everybody. You know, he's you know he's he's appreciative. You know, and and you right. know, and, and he knows that that these guys gave him the tools to get where he's at. You know, as to like I said, you know, when you look at other drivers that are making the transition, they're not they're not saying the right things. They're not doing the right things. And 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 this mm-hmm. isn't something from his PR rep. This is something from him because this is coming after a race. So he's just getting out of the right. car. So it's not it's not like he sat down as public publicist said, Okay, you know what, now we're gonna have you know, it's, it's media day. You know, this is what you're gonna right. say. You know, he's getting out of right. the car, you know what, and, and this is this is this is John Hunter Nemechek. Um uncut. Yeah, but you know, I think and, and <laughs> you know. Go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to say something too before we run out of time here. Um, I think one of the reasons they're bringing, I know, one of the things we're going to do is they're doing is bringing John Hunter Nemajak, who has the Toyota background uh, with him when he comes over to Legacy. I think that's going to be an asset to Legacy Motor Club. And as you mentioned, he's he's got more maturity. So I think it's all going to be a positive. But we do have to move on uh, to the Xfinity Series. 
And then watch, we're going to have about three or four minutes extra. But, I mean, it, it's true what you say, you know, about, you know, with, you know, with, with, with Legacy going to Toyota and John Hunter Nemechek coming over with them. You know, he's bringing all those yeah. resources. You know, and, and Nor did. Absolutely. Oh. I, I just think he's, he's more mature. And, 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 and maturity, is, I think it plays a big role. You know. I, I agree I with you. I just think you. maturity plays a huge role. I agree with so, whoops, I hit the wrong link here. <laughs> okay, we're going to go to the NASCAR Xfinity Series uh, and talk about uh, John Hunter Nemechek's win there, but uh, we'll also cover uh, some of the other finishers and the recap of that race. Um, if it's the Kansas Lottery 300, uh, John Hunter drives the number 20, Ty Barker Fire and Safety Toyota for Joe Gibbs Racing, and Ben Bashore is his crew chief. I, I think that's a good matchup uh, with John Hunter Nemechek. It's the eighth. It's his eighth victory in '93 NASCAR Xfinity Series starts. His sixth victory and career high uh, finish this season. His 19th top 10 finish this season. It's also his second victory and third top 10 finish in three races at Kansas Speedway. Uh, Brandon Jones finished second post top 10 finish in nine races at Kansas and his seventh top 10 finish of this season. Sheldon Creed finished third, posting his uh, first top 10 finish in two races at Kansas. And Parker Retzlaff, who finished 11th, was the highest finishing rookie of the race. Uh, and they mentioned this in the interview. This is the 200th NASCAR Xfinity Series victory for Toyota. A total of 149 races were won uh, the Toyota Camry, with the Toyota Camry body, and 51 have been won in the Toyota GR Supra. Of uh, Toyota's 200 Xfinity Series wins, Joe Gibbs Racing is responsible for 193 of those victories. So uh, that's that's pretty cool to see happening as well, and I know John Hunter was honored uh, to be the driver uh, to make that happen. Uh, there were no mixed feelings on Parker Kligerman's part. He, he was uh, really happy to see John Hunter Nemechek uh, get that victory on Saturday in the Kansas Lottery 300. Uh, had anybody had uh, uh, the other driver won it would have meant uh, that he would not have made the playoffs. So it was really good that uh, uh, if Brandon Jones had won, it would have meant that uh, Parker Kligerman would not have made it into the playoffs, but Brandon Jones would have. So he was real happy to see John Hunter uh, get that victory. <clears throat> Brandon Jones came up wow. uh, just shy of the win in which he needed to have in order to make the playoffs. He earned his best finish of the season in second. Sheldon Creed finished again third, his third podium finish in the last four races. Parker Kligerman came in fourth, scoring enough points to clinch that final spot into the postseason. Austin Hill rounds out the top five, winning the regular season championship. Josh Berry uh, uh, placed sixth. Then it was Brett Moffat, Derek Krause, Joe Graff Jr., and Kaz Growla finishing the uh, top ten. There were seven lead changes among five drivers, ten cautions for 49 yellow flag laps, 
and the average speed of the race was 109.256 miles per hour. The, uh, the margin of victory in this race was 7.521 seconds. So it was a pretty uh, dominant finish for John Hunter Nemechek. He did everything he possibly could to go after that uh, championship. Uh, but Austin Hill had too good of a finish uh, for John Hunter Nemechek to earn it. But he did everything perfect. Yeah, there was no one going to get that win from John Hunter Nemechek. He was definitely the top of the field. But, um, you know, yep. and, you know, they, they talked a lot about him, but they talked about about Austin Hill, you know, and, and just, uh, you know, just the um, – uh, you know, driver that he was this year, you know, he was just, it's, it's, you know, they said, you know, it's like the first two stages, you know what, he was setting himself up for the last stage, you know, to get the, you know, the good finishes that he got all season. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, congrats to John Hunter Ewanchek, because I'll tell you, that was sure was one heck of a dominating run that he had. Um, there was nobody, was. there was nobody, yeah, there was no one going to catch him. I mean, he was, he was in a, he was in a, um, he was in a uh, uh, his own um, his own zip code. Yep, he certainly was. Any other thoughts about the top ten? Because we see some unusual names up in that top ten. Yeah, I guess you do. Brandon Jones, I thought was going to make a, uh, a run for it for a while there, but he just never. Brandon Jones never had the car, you know. Um, you know, Josh Berry could continue with his top ten finishes. Um, of course, eighth is Derek Krause, you know, who finished eighth. Um, you know, congrats on that finish. I know they talked about Derek a little bit. You know, then, um, mm-hmm. uh, and I know you're talking about it, Joe Graff Jr., you know, who got a who got a ninth place finish, you know. Um, you know. Uh, he was driving the 19th you know, for Joe Gibbs this weekend. Yeah, you know, that, that finish just goes back to hosts of our, at his finish with the uh, 42 car, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, congrats to Joe Graff on the finish. And of course, Kaz Grala, you know, you know, finishing 10, but um, par, par, uh, Parker Retzlaff, the highest finishing rookie, he got a lot of airtime this week. You know, they talked a lot about him, you know, and the run he was having, you know, he was up there, you know, in the, you know, top five for a while, you know, he was back and forth and, um, you know, uh, but, like I said, John Hunter Ewanchek just had the. I mean, he just. There was nobody. There was nobody to catch him. Yeah, that is so true. Parker's last rep lap was uh, one of the 11 drivers that finished all 200 laps of the race. Uh, there were 32 cars that finished the race, uh, but the, the rest of the cars were all uh, a lap or more down. A few people did have incidents. Uh, Kyle Weatherman was out on lap 19 because of an accident. Sam Mayer uh, had an accident, taking him out on lap 20. Cole Custer, who I thought was one of the cars that could have contended, uh, he ended up uh, out due to an accident on lap 60. Uh, Sammy Smith, another uh, favorite pick for the win, uh, he was out on lap 97 due to an accident. Daniel Hemrick was actually running, but was multiple laps down. Blaine Perkins 
had a big shoe that took him out on lap 140. Uh, but all the rest of the cars uh, did finish the race. Uh, any thoughts there, Sal? Yeah, well, did we did we just went over the, the you know, the, the right. driver's I stuff. You know, for, I felt bad for Riley Earp. Yeah, I know. He, um, gosh, I mean, he was, they they worked and worked and worked on that car. I mean, there was nothing more they could do to that car to try to get him. You know, he was, he was close. He was like within 13 points, you know, getting in. Mm-hmm. But you know what, that, that right front, you know, they just had to keep coming in and fixing and fixing it, you know, and they could never get the speed that they needed out of the car. And, um, you know, but. I mean, you really had to feel bad for him, you know, not making the, yeah, you know, the playoffs. You know, well, um, he had a, he had a really good season this year. Still looking for that well, first win. Well, he was win. focused on he was focused on trying to win that race, and I kept thinking to myself, I wonder if this is kind of a lesson learned for him. He's got to focus on just beating who he needs to beat in order to make it into the playoffs. He doesn't he didn't necessarily have to go after the win. He could have gotten in on points, but uh, yeah. he hadn't, you know, it was a mechanical problem with the car that kind of uh, held him back. Justin Algauer, too, uh, he ended up finishing 18th uh, despite losing the whole back of his car. His yeah, they're kind of cracking. They're cracking jokes about that, talking about, you know, back in the day, you know, the, that the teams would set those on tracks like this. You know, they they put only a few bolts in the in the back so it would fall off because when that back piece fell off, the car went faster. But now NASCAR requires them when that back piece falls off to put it. You know, they have to put something back on, which is the piece back. But they're they're kind of jokes, yep. you know making jokes. You know, Dale Jr. was talking about that and saying, you know, yeah, I remember I remember when the, the team used to barely put them on and then they have somebody going and running the back of them and it would fall off. And and then all of a sudden, you know, now they're you know, they're faster than the rest of the field. Exactly. Now, this was the season finale for the um, Xfinity Series, uh, but let's go ahead and cover the points here for the Xfinity Series. Yeah, so the points now are um, uh, John Hunter Imachek is uh, leads the points. Um Austin Hill is in second. Uh, Justin Algaier is in third, 25 points, 23 points behind John Hunter Imachek. Um Cole Custer is in fourth. Yeah, this is the reset uh, set, points, right? Yeah, yeah, this is the reset points. I had to go to uh, NASCAR.com because, Chase, you don't have the points. Okay. And then um, uh, the Sam Mayer is sitting in fifth. Chandler Smith is in sixth, Josh Berry is in eighth, and Sheldon Creed is uh, holding up the final, uh, the final, the last spot. And then from there, then we go down to Sammy Smith and Jeb Burton are ninth and tenth. And then from there, then, okay, but then, then Daniel Ham- yeah, Daniel Hamrick and uh, Parker Klingerman. Right. So Daniel Hemrick made it in, Parker Kligerman made it in, uh, and then, you know, Sheldon Creed has had a really good run. He was kind of borderline uh, 
you know, for a while there. And then these runs that he's had these last few races uh, have really propelled him to be in that top eight now. So I think a lot of kudos go to that team uh, for getting him in a good position for the next round. Yeah, I mean, really nobody's, nobody's, well, because now we're starting the new round. So, you know, it's going to be curious to see what happens because, um, John Hunter Nemechek, 43 points to the good. Actually, 46 points to the good from Daniel Hamrick. No, mm-hmm. 47 points to the good from Parker Klingerman. You know, it's right. almost, you know, looking good. You know, you know, Sammy Smith is 43. So, John Hunter Nemechek and Austin Hill are kind of looking good, you know, as far as, you know, making it to the, to the next round, you know. As long as they don't have, you know, a major, you know, you know, two DNFs or something like that. But as long as they can stay mm-hmm. consistent and finish, you know, in the top five, top ten, you know, uh, this would be going on. But yeah, right now, right now, outside of the top eight is uh, Sammy Smith, Jeff Burton, Daniel Hamrick, and uh, Parker Klingerman. You know, with uh, like you said, you know, Riley Herbst just well, not barely, but Riley Herbst was a long way out, you know, from making mm-hmm. it in, you know. Him and Parker Klingerman, you know, were going back and forth. But Parker did what he had to do. You know, they were talking about as long as he could finish seventh or better, you know, that he's going to lock himself in, you know. And, and towards the end of the race, he had a close call with, uh, I can't remember what driver it was, where they got together coming up in, into the front stretch. And Parker kind of clipped him in the back and almost almost ended up in the wall and, and, and out of the and out of the playoffs, yeah, and, and out of the race, you know, which, which put him, which would have yeah. put him laps back enough for, for, uh, you know, but I mean, they worked on Riley's car, you know, they had to, you know, they had to try, you know, keep yeah. him, you know, never, never know what happens, yeah. you know. Okay, they had to keep him in the game for sure, um, yeah. and yeah, a lot could have happened that could have uh, still put him in the playoffs. But, yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, There's several races that are coming up here on the schedule. Uh, The next three races are going to be their round of uh, 12. Uh, So they'll be racing at Bristol this weekend. Uh, Then they've got Texas Motor Speedway September 24th, and Talladega will be their elimination race. Uh, Hold on. Yeah. No, wait a second. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong thing here. Let me go to the Xfinity series. <clears throat> yeah, it should be Bristol this week. Then they've got Texas and then Charlotte on the seventh will be their elimination race, uh, before they start the round of eight at Las Vegas on October the fourteenth. So yeah, there's a lot to look forward to here with these guys. And uh it's gonna be fun to uh see. Yeah, I will. Okay. Of course, the racing at Bristol starts uh, this week This week on Thursday. So uh, with the Truck Series, uh, Xfinity racing on Friday night, and, of course, the Cup Series on Saturday night. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and move on now to the Cup Series. Uh, the NASCAR Cup Series race uh, at Kansas, the Hollywood Casino 400, was won by Tyler Reddick. 
age 27 in the number 45 Money Lion Toyota for 2311 Racing, and crew chief Billy Scott. It was his fifth victory in 138 Cup Series races, his second victory and 13th top 10 finish this season, and his first victory and fourth top 10 finish in nine races at Kansas. Denny Hamlin uh, posted his 14th top 10 finish in second place. Uh, in That's uh, 31 races at Kansas. His 13th top 10 finish, finish this season. And Eric Jones finished third. Uh, posting his sixth top 10 finish in 15 races at Kansas. Ty Gibbs was the highest finishing rookie. He finished in um, 14th place. And so for the review of this race, um, again, it was a dominant, it was a Tyler Reddick. Uh, He made a bold move to the front of the field in overtime. Tyler Reddick uh, left his car owner frustrated at the end of the second uh, Cup Series race, playoff race at Kansas Speedway. He did, however, beat uh, the Joe Gibbs racing driver, uh, Denny Hamlin, uh, and brought uh, the win to 23-11. Uh, the, the margin of victory was .327 seconds. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hamlin led. 63 laps and was more than two seconds ahead of Reddick when playoff driver Chris Buescher uh, blew a right rear tire on lap 261 of the scheduled 267 laps. That caused the ninth and final caution of the race. Um, So behind Denny Hamlin in second, it was Eric Jones. It was a great finish for the number three and Legacy Motor Club. Then it was Kyle Larson Chase Elliott, Kyle Busch, uh, and the poll winner, Christopher Bell, along with Brad Keselowski and Alex Bowman to round out the top ten. Hamlin was leading the race and pulling away when that late caution came out for Chris Butcher, and the field pitted with a mix of strategies. Reddick started the race in fifth place. He took the lead coming to the white flag and held on to win the race. He took that deep dive. Uh, and that's what got him around uh, the rest of the other cars. It was only two laps that he led on the day, uh, but there were some playoff drivers who had problems this weekend. Martin Turex Jr. wrecked on lap four after a tire went down. He ended up uh, out of the race. He ended up in 36th place. William Byron spun out on lap 64. He did not hit anything, and he was able to continue on. Uh, he ended up uh, finishing in 15th place. Bubba Wallace also had a tire go down while running second during stage two, and he ended up breaking the co-link. Uh, that cost him multiple laps, and he finished in 32nd place. Chris Busher lost a tire with less than 10 laps to go. He finished in 27th place. Stage one was won by Kyle Larson. Stage two by Brad Keselowski. There were 19 lead changes among 10 drivers and nine cautions for 45 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 125.212 miles per hour. Your thoughts, Sal, on the top 10 finishers here. Um, Two of them, only two of those top 10 uh, were non-playoff drivers. Yeah, I didn't didn't get a chance to watch this race. We were in a... 
we were at the at the stadium. But um, you know, I I I did read up on some of it, and I guess there's a little bit of controversy about the last restart, and they said Danny Hamlin looked like he held up the field to let Tyler Reddick, you know, get out, you know, get a good lead out in front, you know, to get the win. Um, you know, especially yeah, you know, like I you said, you know, that that, that being his interview. Yeah, yeah, you know, of course, you know, that's his team, you know. So, you know, I mean. He's he's locked into the playoffs, you know. Um, you know, it, it's just it's a confidence booster. Plus, it's it's a little bit extra for for the sponsorship and for everything that goes along with twenty three eleven racing. So you kind of kind of wonder, you know, how how true that is, and if it is true, I'm sure NASCAR's going to look into it. And I mean, they haven't said anything, but I don't know if there could be a possibility of a of a, of a penalty because of that. You know, you yeah, know, we'll see. The penalties, penalties usually come out in uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, we'll see what yeah. happens. Hamlin says that, uh, you know, he was looking behind him instead of looking in front of him, and he felt like he gave up the lead um, by doing that. He felt he should have been more forward-thinking than backward-thinking. And I would agree with that. But I know, I I hear what you're saying. Uh, There was an issue between Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott as well, but I don't think they, Chase Elliott wasn't happy with Eric, uh, with uh, Kyle Larson. But that's been kind of an ongoing thing for Hendrick Motorsports. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's been all season long. You know, that's something that Rick Hendrick needs to take care of, you know. And and after their last incident, I'm sure everybody thought it was over, but it's obvious to see, you know, that it's not, you know, you got two young drivers, you know, one that's frustrated he didn't make the playoffs, you know, and the other one, you know, who, you know, who had a dominating year, you know, after coming back from being suspended for almost the whole year, you know, and, and, you know, mm-hmm. we're taking the chance on him, you know, and, and, you know, and, and, you know, which driver is the franchise driver, you know, which is the go-to driver. And while those two are having their issues, you know, William Byron went out, you know, what had really made a, a statement, you know, on the, you know, the driver he that did. he is. You know, he made a huge statement, you know, um, what he finished. He finished 15th on Sunday. But, you know, but mm-hmm. then, like I said, then you go back, you know, to the, you know, you know, to the, uh, you know, it's good to see Eric Jones, you know, get another top five, you know, for, you know, legacy motorsports. You know, which, which just goes to tell you more and more, you know, I mean, you know, it's, you know, you know, is, is the team really going to be competitive for John Howard Nemechek next year or not? I mean, you know, like I said, Car- Carson Hosler had a good run in the car, you know, that 42 car. So it's going to be, it's going to be exciting to see what happens next year, you know, with that. You know, Joey Logano continues, you know, to be, a, you know, a threat, you know, top five, Kyle Busch. You know, finishing second, and Christopher Bell starting to come around like he did last year towards the end of the season. You know, Christopher Bell, you know, had made that, you know, definitely made that charge, you know, to get mm-hmm. to get into the playoffs. You know, so um, you know, Christopher Bell, maybe he's just one of those, you know, those those drivers, you know, that likes to make us push, you know, at the end of the season. And then Brad with another top ten, you know, um, it's good to see Brad. Brad Kozlowski, um, you know, having the having the revs and having he had such a horrible season yeah. last year. You know, yeah, so, I mean, it, it's it, a, it really it's is really deserving. 
Yeah, that's a breath of fresh air to see him, you know, having a season he's having this year. Yep. Okay, there were uh, 33 cars of the 36 that were running on the uh, when the race ended. Uh, of those, uh, only 24 cars finished on the lead lap. Uh, the rest were multiple laps down. Three cars had incidents taking them out of the race. Martin Truex Jr., that incident took him out on lap three. Harrison Burton and uh, J.J. Yaley were out um, early because of the um, damaged vehicle policy. Uh, Harrison Burton on lap 175 and J.J. Yaley on lap 212. Uh, but other than that, everybody finished the race. Uh, but, yeah, what about Martin Truex Jr., the regular season champion, uh, now below uh, now in jeopardy. Yeah, you know, round. I was, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just shows you, you know what, I mean, even with all those playoff points, you know what, you know, you know, gosh, I mean. He's had two mulligans already in the first two races of the season. Um, exactly. So. It, it's not it's not looking good for him. He's and Bristol is not one of his best tracks, so it's going to be interesting to see if they can kind of pull it all together, uh, but and see if he can't go after that victory at Bristol. But man, he's got a big hole to dig out of at this point. Yeah, and they're talking about. In on point. Yeah. Go ahead. And you know they're talking about at the beginning. You know how you know when the playoffs started for them, you know, how, you know, he was, you know, one of the favorites, you know, and he was having, gosh, you know, the season he's having, look at how good, you know, and, and now all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's below the cut line. Yeah, it, it's uh, a little disconcerting to say the least, because um, you're right, he had 36 playoff points built up. Uh, William Byron also has those 36 playoff points. Uh, but uh, he's he's had better finishes in the uh, first two races in the round of 16. Uh, let's go ahead and cover the points. We're almost out of time here. So, so the points, Kyle Larson's leading the points, Tyler Reddick's in second, Danny Hamlin's in third, William Byron's in fourth, Brad Kozlowski's in fifth, Ryan Blaney's in sixth, Kyle Busch is seventh, and Ross Chastain rounds out the top eight. And then from there, we go down to Chris Buescher in ninth, Christopher Bell in tenth, Joy Logano in eleventh, Kevin Harvick in twelfth. And so far, the uh, with the exception of Chastain, <laughs> Martin Truex is below the line, but Bubba Wallace, Ricky Stenhouse, and Michael Medell are all right where the according to the analysts, right where they're supposed to be, not making it to the next round. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting uh, to see if, what Martin Truex Jr. is able to do at Bristol. Yeah, McDowell's on a definite, he, he needs a win. Yeah, him, him yeah. Stenhouse, and Bubba all need wins. They're just... They're uh they're too far out, but you know, um, Chastain, you know, still holding on strong up there. You know, Blaney up there in sixth, and of course Kyle Larson. Mm. 
you know, um, it's going to be interesting to see. The top three have been very strong so far this uh, in the opening part of the uh, round of 16. Um, you got to, I guess, William Byron has a chance to be in that final four. But those top three look like they're going to be hard to beat throughout the playoffs. We'll see how it continues to play out. Any surprise? Well, uh, you anticipate well, any well, surprises? Kyle Larson, Kyle Larson and Tyler and uh, Tyler Reddick already locked in with their wins. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know. I, I would. I would. I man, I, I would still like to see Brad Keselowski get a win before the season's over. You know, um, just beat Kevin Harvick's last season. I'd like to see Kevin go all the way to, to the final four too. You know, mm-hmm. this being his his, uh, his last season, um, it's just going to be hard because Kevin's so far so far down him and uh him and Truex, but Truex is just really he has just really dug himself up a bad hole. Yep, we'll have to see what happens. Um, so you're going to be at Irwindale this weekend, Sal? Yeah, I'll be there with the SRL series. Okay. Uh, that'll be fun, and uh, I'll look forward to hearing about it uh, next week when we come back on for our review of uh, Bristol. Yeah, it should should be a good race. We got a we got a good a good solid field out there. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to it and uh, getting back out to the track again. Um, <laughs> All right. Stockton well, it was, was good nice. to have really... you back. Yeah, oh, Stockton yeah, really you went nice to Stockton. We, we, we didn't, yeah, we didn't have the heat that we were supposed to, that we usually get. So it made for a really nice uh, nice evening of racing. And then Labor Day weekend, so we went up and did some stuff. But either way, I know you guys have a show to go. It's already top of the hour. It is. It is. Uh, but thanks uh, for being here. It's good to have you back. And we'll look forward to talking to you again next Monday night. All right. Good night, everyone. Have a safe weekend, and uh, glad the football is finally back. Good night. <laughs> you and my brother both. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Al. All right, we're at the top of the hour. That means it's time for NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And uh, let's go ahead and bring everybody into the queue. Uh, Jay Huseman, I know, is here. Welcome to the show, Jay. Well, thank you, Sharon. And I just caught the tail end with you and Sal. Uh, hot topic just to start. Good news is Michael McDowell, Ricky Stenos could win at Bristol, and that's what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. I was I was kind of poking him to see if he'd come up with any surprise wins. Uh, but he didn't. He didn't give it to me. But uh, that's exactly it. You, you never know what could happen. Also joining us uh, today is uh, Andy Lasky. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hi there, Sharon. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing quite well, thank you. And uh, looking forward to our hot topics discussion tonight. And uh, also joining us tonight is Michael Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. Oh, good evening. Glad to be back. Sorry I missed Thursday, but those chemtrails aren't going to spray themselves. <laughs> okay, well, 
with uh, good to have you back, and uh, I'm going to let you go ahead and open up us, our Hot Topic Sound Off discussion here tonight. I'm glad you did, because I often get accused of being a, a homer for a certain driver, that, and, and my impartiality and objectivity is often impugned. So I wanted to bring this topic up to make sure that I got it before Jay did. But anyway, Danielle Trotta came in real hot on Sirius XM today regarding Chase Elliott's incident with Kyle Larson. Uh, if you'll recall, the final pit stop cycle going into the overtime at the end of the Kansas race, um, Larson was basically in the middle of three wide coming out of pit road. He got pushed out by Brad Keselowski, which in turn caused Larson to get into the side of Chase Elliott and push Elliott just about into the grass coming off of pit road. It appeared that Elliott didn't know about the Keselowski part of that equation, and he ended up pulling up and dooring Kyle Larson on the way out of pit road. Well, Danielle Trotta kind of came in hot on Chase Elliott today, and she said on SiriusXM, quote, Chase's behavior was totally unacceptable in a year where his decision-making has been questionable to the point of being suspended, unquote. I'm just interested to get everybody's take on this uh, topic here because it's another Chase Elliott judgment on-track action kind of incident in a year where we've had a couple of those. Okay. Uh, and, Andy, we'll go to you for the first commentary on that. You know, I haven't even seen the race yet, so I, it's hard for me to really comment on the incident. But from what it looked like, there was contact on pit road after a pit stop, and Elliot was frustrated by that. And, you know, you can understand the frustration um, to some degree, but, you know, they are teammates. And, you know, I'm sure that the executives at Hendrick Motorsports, namely Rick Hendrick and Jeff Gordon, probably didn't appreciate the fact that he went up and made contact with his teammate after they exited pit road. So, you know, I don't know. It's just been such a down year for him in general. You know, obviously he injured himself. He missed some races. That didn't help things as far as their season went. They He then got suspended for right-rearing somebody intentionally you know, then failed to win a race. It's just, it's been their year, you know, and that happens to everybody at some point, you know, and I think those frustrations are just spilling over onto the racetrack. And this isn't the first time that he and Larson have had history together. I think it was Auto Club Speedway a year or two ago where they raced hard and um, they made some contact and one of them got into the fence and, you know, they weren't too happy about that either. So this isn't the first time these guys have gotten together, not the first time they've been frustrated with each other. I think that it's probably time to sit them down and have a lengthy discussion about their their feelings toward one another and where to go from here because that's not the way teammates should race each other, especially, you know, I know the nine might be in the owner playoffs, but the five car, I think, can actually contend for a championship. So, um, you know, if, I, I think that you have to show your respect toward a teammate, especially one that's out there vying for wins and championships while the nine car really hasn't been doing that. So, yeah, just been a tough year for them. The frustration is evident, but I think it's time that the team steps in and has some discussions internally, certainly not something the rest of us need to know about, but I, I would hope that they'll sit down and discuss this because it, it's time that, you know, Elliot, uh, you know, realized the severity of his actions. And also, you know, Larson too. I mean, you know, it doesn't do either one of them any good to be getting into each other and, and having these issues. So I think they need to try to put whatever – issues they have behind them and, and try to work for the greater good of, you know, bringing home a title for that team. Okay. Jay, your thoughts. 
Well, I was on the road today, so I was listening to Sirius XM, and I heard that interview um, or that segment with uh, Danielle Trotta and Larry McReynolds, and she definitely was fired up about it. Uh, I don't know if I, I heard Sharon's voice in my head in one of those where I know you get fired up on occasion. <laughs> she was she was pretty wound up. Uh, Larry Mack kind of agreed with her, just wasn't as adamant, which is where I kind of fall. And to go back to what Andy said there, they had the problem at Auto Club. Larson went to make a pass, moved up. Chase Elliott was coming and uh, faster at the time because was already to the Kyle Larson's outside. They got together. Larson said he didn't see him. Then, though, came Watkins Glen, where Kyle Larson made a dive ball move, got to the inside, but ended up sliding up and not holding it into Chase Elliott, pushed him out of the groove, and I think uh, Elliott lost two or three positions with that. Um, in that situation, Hendrick Motorsports, both Jeff Gordon and Rick Hendrick, I believe, kind of backed Elliott and saying, Larson, you know, I know you're going for the win. You're here for your team, but you also hurt your teammate. I think in this case, they better back Kyle Larson. Um, my biggest issue with the incident was you got that on pit road. Again, Kyle, Kyle moves up on pit road, has to move because he sees he's coming up on Brad Keselowski. He just pulled out slower. He just pulled out in front of him. Larson needs to make room. They're two or three wide on pit road. Larson moves up. Elliott's there. They bump. Get onto the frontage road. Get it. Chase Elliott doesn't have the whole picture. Gets upset. They use the word door slam. Um, made contact. Okay, expressed his frustration. From what I've heard, post-race, went to the car, got his head in the window, and had a discussion with Kyle Larson. Don't know how he did, what it was about. Even if you get to the point where you say, okay, maybe I shouldn't have been as upset. I didn't know all the facts. When Bob Pockers interviewed him, Chase Elliott acted like he didn't even know what the question was about. He asked, you know, did you, mm-hmm. what was the message you were trying to send? And he said, he's like, nothing. I don't know what you're talking about. There's nothing between us. You can't deny it. I mean, people saw it, and you know it's there. Okay, to try and play it off like that to me was a little, I say, embarrassing. I mean, because you can't deny it. People saw it. Um, Larry McReynolds is the one that kind of went down the road of go back to 2020. Chase Elliott, as we all know, NASCAR's most popular driver when it comes to the fan vote and the fans. Champion, the face of HMS. The next year, Kyle Larson gets brought in, wins 10 races, wins the championship. Since then, if you look at the two, two teams, Kyle Larson overall has been better. Uh, last year in 2020, Chase Elliott did have more wins uh, and a little bit better. But look at this year again. Kyle Larson's up there contending for the driver's championship um, and whatnot. And then this year alone, like Danielle Trotta said, and I know Mike had put a comment in there. It's not that NASCAR needs to suspend or get involved in this incident. She's saying he's made bad decisions this year to include the situation with Hamlin, which did get him suspended. Um, Mm -hmm. So I do think that Hendrick Motorsports, and I, too, uh, I haven't seen the actual race. This was uh, I saw some replays on social media and listened to uh, Sirius XM. Um, they said Jeff Gordon, clearly, you can see the frustration on his mouth or, uh, face sorry, um, over the incident. And, again, I just think they'd have to stand behind Kyle Larson on, on this side of it. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, 
And Chase Elliott um, has kind of gotten by with a few things. Um, I used to get, uh, well, I have been frustrated in the past uh, for him not being called out for doing some of the same things that uh, Ross Chastain was doing. He's won races by doing some of the same things that uh, Ross Chastain was doing. And I know Hendrick Motorsports, Hendrick, uh, Rick Hendrick said something to Ross Chastain, and it's kind of turned Ross Chastain around. He's really taken that comment to heart, and he's really been a little more focused on doing the right thing on the track and making those good decisions, as Danielle Trotter puts it. And she's been really hard on Chastain as well this season and very complimentary of the fact that he has kind of turned around since that uh, comment from Rick Hendrick. Uh, But they need to have that conversation with Chase Elliott. And I agree, it needs to be something internal. They need to sit him down uh, because I think there is a jealousy that's built up here uh, and Chase Elliott is not handling it very well. Kyle Larson, as we know, is not uh, the kind of driver that likes to get involved in uh, incidents on the track. Uh, but um, uh, And he, he did comment after the race. He thinks once Chase sees the footage, he'll understand what happened there and uh, understand that what he did probably wasn't a good decision on his part. Um, and and I, I think that that's probably true. I think once he sees the footage, uh, Larson had to do something to avoid hitting uh, Brad Keselowski. Uh, the problem was he misjudged the distance he had between himself and Chase Elliott, and Chase got hit a little bit there. Uh, but it wasn't enough to hurt his race, uh, and I think that, uh, you know, he was able to go on. So Chase Elliott, um, I think, does have some jealousy going on. Uh, that's part of a maturity, I think, <laughs> and uh, something that he's going to have to deal with and uh, maybe get some help in dealing with that jealousy um, for all of the reasons that um, Jay brought up. Uh, because he is making some very bad decisions. It was a bad decision. He got suspended when he uh, had the incident with Denny Hamlin. Uh, He's had this, and and, and things are stacking up. (laughs) Now, this is a good example of first time it's an accident, second time it's coincidence, but by the time you get to that third time, now we're talking about a, a bad habit that's developing here. So, and for me, um, I can't think of the specific race, but I know there was a, a race within the last year that Chase Elliott won that um, I was a little frustrated because he did exactly the same thing um, that we've seen some other drivers do to, in order to win, and yet he's not being called out for it <laughs> like uh, Ross Chastain was called out for it. So um I do think that Chase Elliott uh, needs to have that internal discussion and he needs to kind of cool his jets just a little bit or come up with a way, uh, some coping mechanisms or something to help him deal with uh, the the jealousy feelings that he has going on there. Because it's it's hurting him and it's hurting the organization. Mike, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Well, don't forget there was that race last year at Pocono where Chase Elliott bumped Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch right out of the way, and he stole the win from both of them. 
Um, now, granted, he did have the assistance. Yeah, he did have the assistance of NASCAR Tech in order to make that happen. But if you were to believe the anti-Chase Elliott contingent on Reddit, that of course was a NASCAR conspiracy to give a win <laughs> to their most popular driver. Uh, no, I, I'm glad Jay brought up the the fact that I don't believe that NASCAR should get involved in this one. Even keeping in mind the previous issue that led to his, his suspension earlier this year, I don't think this incident merits any sort of intervention from NASCAR. This should be an internal deal between Hendrick Motorsports, Chase Elliott, and Kyle Larson. Uh, Kyle Larson, like you said, he didn't do anything wrong. And I think mm-hmm. Chase Elliott kind of suffered from a lack of perspective on this one, and it led to him – doing some ill-advised things. And I'm not sure if it was, was it Stuart Scott or Stephen A. Smith? So one of the guys on ESPN has got the catchphrase, come on, man. And that's exactly what we got going on right here. Come on, man. You are the perennial most popular driver of the sport. Like it or not, you are the face of the sport. For better or for worse, because he is, he is not the best face of the sport. He is not a, a, a particularly engaging personality. I don't see him going and hosting Saturday Night Live like Jeff Gordon did or, or really anything else to represent the sport away from the racetrack. But that's a discussion for a completely different thing. He's also a champion of the sport. Um, he won the regular season championship last year. He is a, not so much this year. He's been a little bit off, but he's a contender for wins on a fairly regular basis. Um, I don't. I, I would be shocked if 2020 was the only Cup Series championship he ends up retiring with, unless he keeps doing dumb stuff like this. Like, like you said, Sharon, it's a maturity thing, which is weird because usually a driver goes through this dumb maturity phase first, and then they start winning races and championships. I guess Kurt Busch, notwithstanding. But either way, most of the time guys get this out of the way first, and then they start winning. Chase Elliott was winning. And then it almost seems like he's decided he wants to be the black hat. He's kind of taken a heel turn this year. I understand this year has got to have been frustrating for the nine team and Elliott in particular. Uh, Chase got hurt early in the season. Not really his fault. I mean, yeah, obviously he decided to go snowboarding, but he certainly didn't decide to go get hurt. That's just, you know, things happen. But we talk about not letting one mistake or one bad circumstance snowball. And I think that's kind of what's happened with this team is Chase has felt like he's behind. He's had, I don't know if it was a chip on his shoulder or how you want to describe it, but it's led to doing things and making strategy calls and doing things on the racetrack, like right rearing Denny Hamlin into the fence that has, has continued to set this team back when they were already back in the, uh, in, in a hole here. So, is, he, is Chase Elliott 100% to blame for the issues that the nine team has had this year? No, absolutely not. However, he has certainly not done a whole lot to help right the ship and correct it, and this weekend didn't do anything to move him in that direction. Like Andy said, Elliott is not eligible for a driver's championship. However, the nine team is still eligible for an owner's championship, and every single owner and even uh, race car drivers have said, yeah, the driver's championship is a flashy one, but the owner's championship is what really matters. Now, the nine team is not – I think they're like 13th or 14th in owner's points right now. They are likely to advance to the next round, uh, but that's not a given. They've, they ran well at Darlington and ran well at Kansas, so barring some sort of really bad time at Bristol, they're unlikely to be eliminated in this round. But either way, if Elliott continues to do dumb things and takes himself out of contention by pulling on one of these dumb moves, he got away with one this weekend, but he could just as easily take himself out in the process like he did at Bristol a few years earlier, racing too hard with Kevin Harvick and cutting a tire down and then doing dumb stuff afterwards. 
he could very well eliminate his own team from driver from owners championship contention. And I'm sure that would make Mr. Hendrick and Mr. Gordon very upset with him. So it's time that they step in and say, Hey man, get it together. I know you're, you're going to be with this organization for a long time, but we need you to act like you belong at this organization for a long time. Cause right now he's not doing it. Okay. Andy, any follow up? Yeah. I just have to, you know, look at, where the source of frustration comes from. And obviously, you know, as I mentioned, the first go around, not really been the year that they want, but it, it doesn't help matters when your teammates are having a better season than you. When you look at Larson and Byron, um, they've won a bunch of races, right? And, and they're easily in the conversation to be championship favorites. And I think, you know, Elliot's kind of used to being, used to being kind of the, the top guy over there. At least he had been for really probably from, say, 2018 through 2020, and then entered Kyle Larson. And it's almost like when, when Larson came in there, he's kind of been second fiddle to Larson, you know, and, and now Byron, you know, with five or however many wins inside this year. You know, so you, you, you just have to wonder if there's a little bit of frustration. We've seen this with other teams in the past when teammates outperform, you know, one of their drivers, and, and when they're not able to produce the same kind of results, it's, it can lead to frustrations on and off the racetrack. So um, certainly when you look at, you know, like I said, the, the way Larson and, and Byron has run this year and, and what they're probably going to do moving forward in the playoffs, you can you can see where that happens. That being said, I think that we all know the nine team is capable of having those exact same kind of results as his teammates. And, and I think that the key for them would be, number one, try to win an owner's championship. Number two, try to learn what you can to go into next season and start things off on the right foot. And so you hope that they can regain that focus required uh, to do that and and end the season on a positive note. So I'm sure there'll be meetings. I mean, there's no better ownership group than Rick Hendrick, you know, and now with Jeff Gordon kind of coming in and and running the show there. I, I mean, really, you can't ask for better people than that to try to help corral somebody and steer them in the right direction. And I, you have to believe that'll take place, but, yeah, it's just been a tough year, you know, and I, I, you have to, you know, just look at everything that they've been through. Um, and you can totally see where the frustration comes into play. So I totally understand it. And, and um, you know, hopefully they'll they'll sit them down and work through it. And, you know, they can they can do what needs to be done to end the year um, headed in the right direction. Okay, Jay, your follow-up? Yeah, that goes back to all all of it. Whenever we talk about a hot topic, it seems like, understand where the frustration is coming from, but you also then have to be able to handle that, um, the pressure, the, you know, the disappointment, a bad day or whatever. It's how and how, how you handle yourself. Um, you know, we talked about da- Danielle Trotter and her comments, and I know I compared them to Kyle Petty. Uh, there were no punches held. When I talked to my mom, she referred to him as kind of compared him to Denny Hamlin of whiny, entitled baby. Um, I don't know if we're to that point yet, but it's trending in that direction from my viewpoint. And this was coming from some within the industry, uh, media and whatnot, that their opinion of him is slowly moving in that direction. And I just hate to see that. Uh, You know, whether I think he's the most popular driver as part of the fan base, whatever, I just don't want to see him go down that road. And the other situation we brought up, and this wasn't about on the track, but just being – 
not held to the same standard. If you recall the flipping off uh, on TV, Kyle Busch had done it, mm-hmm. a couple of drivers, and they got chastised for it. And I believe it was at Bristol last year, if I'm not mistaken, but Chase Elliott did it on national TV, and he kind of got accolades for it, you know. And, and there, too, they said, oh, he was mad. You know, he had a right to be. This happened on the track. I'm like, I don't think anybody else flipped somebody off just because it was, you know, the thing to do. They had their frustration and what they were upset about. So I, I just disagree with that, you know, hold it, whatever the action may be. Uh, Sharon, you were pointing it out of comparing it to Ross Chastain. And you're right. If you're going to hold another driver accountable and, and chastise them for this, you darn well better hold yourself accountable when you do it. And, and that's where the post-race interview with Bob Pockers, like I said, he was just like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. What, what situation? What incident? No, I mean, everybody saw it. At least acknowledge it. And, again, you go back and look at the tape. Admit that you go, hey, I didn't have the whole picture. I, I was out of line own it i mean you know what i mean or even even if you just say hey i was frustrated and i acted out of emotion not a good thing necessarily but at least own it don't be like yeah what happened i don't know what you're talking about i i just that blew my mind yeah i i that kind of blows my mind too jay because it, it frustrates me when people think that we're stupid enough to to buy something like that we're not that stupid <laughs> we see through what you're what you're saying um and but at the having said that i i do think that a lot of these drivers are hesitant to take accountability because of happened with Denny Hamlin earlier this year when he admitted uh, he took some retaliation out on another driver on the track, Chastain, I think it was, and he admitted it and NASCAR penalized him for it. So I think this is an example of uh, another example of why drivers are hesitant to say exactly what's going on because they don't want to get a penalty for it. But I think that there does need to be something said about taking ownership for what you did. Um, and he didn't take him out of the race. He, 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 he let him know. But, again, you're using your car <laughs> as a communication vehicle versus having a conversation. And I don't agree with that. Um, but don't take us for being stupid either that we're going to believe that, uh, you, you know, there was no message there. there. There was a clear message sent, and we all saw it. And for you to say that there was no message uh, just makes you look silly. So um, I, I get it to a certain degree, but at the same time, I think he could have owned up to this one without any fear of penalty. Um, but we'll see what happens. Um, I, I, that's the only thing I have to add to it. Uh, Mike? You get the final word here. Jay, this may blow your mind with how quickly time flies, but the race that you're referring to where Elliot used the, the social finger, if you will, that was the spring Darlington race in April of 2020, the first race back after the COVID break. So it's already been three mm-hmm. years since that incident that you oh, wow. like happened earlier this year. Oh, yeah. Time flies, doesn't it? Now, with regard to just using that finger for the sake of using it, you clearly haven't hung around me and my racing buddies and seen some of the pictures we send back and forth to each other, but that's a completely different discussion. Um, but yeah, with regard to, to Chase Elliott, the guy's, 
there's no denying he's a, a very, very talented race car driver. But you've got to look at some of, and I would almost say the majority of the drivers coming into NASCAR, Chase Elliott included, they are the racing equivalent of theater kids. They have been raised in this isolated bubble where the world revolves around them and making them into professional race car drivers. Um, mm-hmm. For good or for bad, take it, take that how you will. But they've been in this isolated bubble since before they realized what the world was. I think back to the famous picture of Chase Elliott back in uh, Indianapolis with Dale Earnhardt back in what was that, like. 97 99 something like that and chase elliott's five years old sitting on dale senior's knee i mean that's how how isolated into this racing world elliott has been literally his entire life and he's far from the only one the vast majority of drivers at the the top professional level not just in nascar but in all the professional motorsports they're theater kids they have been raised and groomed in this environment their entire life so that's good and that it develops a very, very talented race car driver and a very specialized skill set. But the downside is they sometimes they do lack that maturity and that worldly experience that people get from doing other things. I call it, you know, whatever that other thing may be, it could just be going to school, you know, regular school with regular kids all the time and getting beat up and stuffed in a locker like I'm sure Ryan Blaney would have been. But you know, having that experience and that, that life experience I think they, they lack a lot of it, and sometimes it shows through. And I think this, just the theory, this is my own personal opinion, but I think this is one of those times where that showed through a little bit. I hope he can work through it. I hope you know, he gets a, a finger or two poked in his chest by, by Mr. Hendrick and Mr. Gordon, and they get him right and, and going in the right direction because, like I said, he's an extremely talented race car driver, has a, a great potential to win multiple more NASCAR Cup Series championships, but he's got to get his head on straight. And speaking of things that people have to do, Sharon, you're up. Yes, I am. It's time for me to do my announcement. Uh, for our first-time listeners, if um, – uh, you will notice we're going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Uh, tonight, and that's Eastern time. But we are going to continue our conversation past that time, and we will record that part of the conversation so it will be available as part of our bonus overtime material on our podcast. I'll go out on Twitter and Facebook to let you know that the podcast is available, and at that point, you can fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of our conversation on that podcast. So, again, we make the announcement at this time of the night just so you're not caught off guard or taken by surprise. Uh, So uh, now that that's uh, done, we'll go ahead and go to Andy for our next hot topic. What do you have, Andy? Well, according to Brad Kozlowski, he says we need more mile-and-a-half racetracks what do you think about that? <laughs> okay, Jay. Well, I think you can go down, Sharon, when you post as far as what we talk about here. You can go down a few more where Mike had put one up of, oh, actually, I think Mike put it up under, I take it back. Mike put it up under uh, race picks. It needs to be moved over to hot topics. But he had put up the question of, the Charlotte Roval going away, back to the mile and a half. Um, Watkins Glen being moved into the playoffs. And, and we've talked about this, and it includes then the Indy Roval or Indy Road Course as well. Um, as this next-gen car now, with the Gen 6 car, 
yeah, it didn't do well on the mile as well on the mile and a half. Seemed to favor the road courses and maybe short tracks a little bit better. The Gen 7 car, it seems, really matches up well with the 1.5-mile tracks. And we've talked about that throughout races throughout the year that it has. And we look back at the Coca-Cola 600 when it comes to Charlotte. Um, So I think there is something to be said about maybe, especially at Charlotte, and going to the, it's not a mile and a half, but oval track at Indianapolis for a couple of reasons. The car seems to be performing better now on these style of tracks than where it wasn't before. Plus, if you're going to add a road course when it comes to possibly Canadian Tire Motorsports Park up in Canada, um, we've added the street course racing when it comes to Chicago and possibly elsewhere down the road. I think these two manufactured road courses, uh, the Charlotte Roval and the Indy Road Course, do need to go back to something else, the mile and a half or whatever, for two parts. Again, balance the schedule as far as what tracks we're running on and the fact that this car does seem to be doing better on the mile and a half. Um, so I think there is some merit to that, and we know NASCAR is already looking at it, you know, when it comes to the balance as well as how the car is doing statistically-wise and the, the performance of uh, the racing it's putting on on the track. So I think there is something here to look at um, as we go forward. Mike? I'm always hesitant with the we need more whatever kind of arguments, right? Because it always leads to over you know, too much of a good thing and uh, an oversaturation of whatever. I think we've, we, we've got really close to that with road courses. And I'm a guy who loves road course racing. But at the same time, I agree with Jay that the, the Gen 7 car has not raced as well on a road course as I think a lot of people, myself included, expected. We saw the development of the Gen 7 car, and it looked a whole lot like a, almost like an IMSA sports car. I guess, obviously, the body panels and whatnot, it, it still looks like a NASCAR Cup car. But underneath it, the geometry of the suspension, the transaxle layout, all those mechanical things that really make a race car a race car, it looked like a sports car underneath there. And I think we... We got our hopes up that the Gen 7 car was going to race much better on road courses than so far it has. Now, if you want to blame the aerodynamic package or the driver's skill level, or, or there's a lot of other factors in play there, so I don't want to point the finger exclusively at the car, but there's really no denying that the road course racing during the Gen 6 era tended to be more entertaining than it has been during the Gen 7 era. Um, does that mean we need to completely wipe road courses off the schedule? No, I don't think so. I, I think it's that... that style of racing appeals to a lot of race fans and i think the the increase in road course preponderance on the nascar cup series schedule i think has helped to reach a lot more fans who otherwise see nascar as just a bunch of cars driving around in circles i know quite a few people from the sports car world friends of mine who are big fans of sports car racing they still don't like watching nascar oval races but they will tune in for the nascar road course races so the reason so whenever we have more of those style races on the track there's a certain number of fans that they will seek out and watch those nascar road course races because that's the style of racing that they're interested in with regard to going to more of a certain type of track in this case 1.5 this kind of comes down to the the fluidity of the schedule we've seen a lot more change year over year for the past few years with the schedule and i really like that i maybe we do need to rotate things a little bit more so we've got two mile and a half right now that have been dormant for several years that the cup series used to race at namely chicagoland speedway and kentucky speedway to my understanding 
aside from a little bit of cleanup, I don't know that there's really anything preventing NASCAR from going back to either one of those facilities. I know there was talk about Chicagoland being bulldozed, but to my understanding, nothing has happened with that project right now. So going back to the Chicagoland Speedway, I think, is probably not too unrealistic, especially with a few months' lead time like they would have. Bob Pockers has said that the Cup Series schedule should be due probably before the end of this month, if not into the beginning of next month. So I would like to see a little bit more rotation there. If not Chicago or Kentucky, something along those lines. Going back to the the Oval at Charlotte may may be something to look at, but keep in mind the reason that they went to the Roval race and the Fall Charlotte race was because that fall it was the same thing same reason that they went to the dirt race at Bristol in the spring. They just were not drawing the audience that they wanted to for that second Charlotte race, the 500 mile race on the mile-and-a-half oval track, so that's why they went to the Roval. Same thing. They were not drawing the audience to the Bristol concrete race in the spring, so that's why they went to the dirt. If they want to go back to the oval track, I think maybe it has rested long enough that there would be a little bit more interest in it, so long as the racing continues to be good. The Coca-Cola 600, both 600s uh, during the Gen 7 era have been outstanding races, so I've got every reason to believe that a oval race at the Charlotte 1.5-mile uh, oval I think would be another entertaining and excellent race. However, I do really like the Roval. I think it's a unique idea, um, and I think the, the schedule will be losing something by having that go away. Um, moving away from some of the multi-date uh, racetracks. Some of them were traditionally two dates, Daytona, Talladega. Uh, I think some of those can, can continue to have two dates per year, but some of the other ones, um, Las Vegas possibly, Phoenix would be another one where maybe instead of a second date there, they go to another, a, a different racetrack, maybe within the same style. So instead of Las Vegas, maybe we do go back to Chicagoland so we don't lose a mile and a half, but we get a little bit more variety in the schedule from there. That's kind of what I would like to see right there, but I'm real hesitant when I hear anybody, including Brad Keselowski, say we need more of whatever because we've seen that road get walked down before and the results have been mixed at best. Yes, indeed. And and I think NASCAR has heard that, and I think they are trying to mix up the schedule a little bit uh, in order to accommodate the, the style of car and everything else. So I'm sure they're going to hear this as well. I hope you're right. I hope that they do bring back uh, Chicagoland Speedway, Mike. I would have looked up the website, and there's a Super Motocross uh, World Championship that's going to take place there this weekend. So the track is still there. Um, and it, that's a dirt race, obviously, but uh, I, I do think that uh, I've seen uh, NHRA still racing there as well. So we know that the, the facility is still there. Uh, nothing's happened with that facility. If NASCAR could come back to Chicagoland, I think it would be fantastic because I thought they put on good racing with the Gen 6 car. Uh, so it would be interesting uh, to see what they would do in the Gen 7 car, but I've got to think it would be very similar to what we saw at Kansas Speedway. That's the sister track to Chicagoland Speedway. So um, I've got to think it would be pretty similar uh, racing at uh, Chicagoland. So I uh, am, and, uh, 
I, like you, though, uh, am hesitant when I hear somebody say we need more of this or more of that, uh, because it does depend on uh, the type of vehicle that they're racing with as well. And uh, I agree with what Jay said, that I think that uh, we can let go of the Charlotte Roval at this point and perhaps even the the uh, road course at uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway um, and get back to uh, the regular racing on the track there uh, in, in both of those facilities. And I hope we don't have any more, in, in, you know, created road courses out of an oval. I, I would rather we go to a road course track. So I uh, am curious to see what they're going to do with that next year. Uh, but I don't think we need more road courses. I think we need... Uh, probably to hone in and, and maybe uh, no more than what we have now, uh, certainly, but maybe even a couple or less. So um, that's my thought on it. I think we have had better racing on the 1.5-mile tracks, and it's one of those be careful what you ask for because things can change, and now everybody's wanting the 1.5-mile tracks where before they were complaining that they were cookie cutters and giving us dull racing. Well, that's not the case anymore. Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, really to echo what what's already kind of been said, um, you know, it's 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 almost as if, you know, race fans and even drivers, I suppose, aren't content with the current schedule years ago, just a few years ago. It was all about how we needed more road courses. And certainly with the previous cup car, road course races were some of the most anticipated races of the year. Um, to the points that have already been made, though, with the new car, we've seen a bit of a switch where, the intermediate tracks, which used to be loathed, I think, by many of us, certainly certainly me anyway, at least some of the facilities, they're now some of the best races of the year, you know. And for whatever reason, the short tracks and road courses, which used to be some of the most anticipated races, are now suffering a bit. So, um, you know, hopefully, in my mind, instead of completely revamping the schedule and adding a bunch of mile-and-a-half tracks back to the schedule, I would maybe try to find a fix to the the cup car to make short tracks and road courses similar to what we saw in the past, because I do think those are in some of the most interesting racing, you know, events that we see throughout the, the schedule. But that being said, I think that there is a way where you can, you know, maybe not add more road courses or take road courses away and, and maybe don't add a bunch more mile and a half to the schedule, but we could, mix up the variety a bit. Um, I'd love to see Chicago Land come back. I think that you have to look no further than Kansas to get an idea what the Gen 7 racing would be like at that racetrack. It would be fantastic. But, you know, I think it's time to maybe take away second dates at some of these events, um, you know, and start trending with toward, you know, maybe having just one race a season at some of these racetracks. And that's not going to include some of the bigger venues like Daytona, um, you know, Darlington, some of these others probably deserve one or two dates. Well, at least one date, but some deserve two dates, um, some of the bigger racetracks. But I would like to see maybe, you know, some racetracks make a return to the schedule. You could potentially add Kentucky and Chicagoland back in, but at the same time, maybe we don't go to Atlanta twice a year. You know, maybe, 
you know, we don't go to some of these racetracks. I'm trying to think of another one, but the Vegas, maybe we don't go to Vegas twice a year, you know, maybe mix it up a little bit. So the mile and a half tracks that we do go to, um, you know, are, are all slightly different from each other and give us something to look forward to, um, you know, going to a different market and a different venue throughout the year. So I don't know. I think that, um, I don't think it's a bad thing if we if we revisit the mile and a half talk, but I just know that for years and years and years, people kept screaming that we had too many of them, and I would be hesitant to just go back to that because I think that it would be a mistake. So hopefully, you know, my point would be fix the car so that it races better on short tracks and road courses and maybe make the schedule a little bit diverse. I wanted to touch on real quick about um, – I guess it's a bit of a subtopic, but the fact that Watkins Glen could become a playoff race in favor of uh, the Charlotte Roval going back to the Oval, that I could 100% get on board with. I think it would be fantastic. Upstate New York, you know, I wouldn't go too late in the year, but if you went there in in, in or around, you know, the September time frame, the weather's typically pretty nice. That would be a, a pretty good move, and I think the Glen would make a, a great addition to the playoffs, and at the same time, uh, to Mike's point, um, Charlotte has really produced fantastic racing on the oval the last year or two, and you know maybe having two oval races there is warranted. I know that contradicts what I just said about maybe not doing so <laughs> at all these different racetracks, you know. But I do think that some racetracks, you know, like maybe Daytona, Charlotte, Darlington, some of these, you know, prominent racetracks on the schedule, maybe they do deserve two races. I wouldn't want to see it at every venue but maybe you could do this in periodic places, especially like Charlotte, for example, that really has done a nice job. So I don't know. We'll see what the schedule brings, um, you know, and we'll uh, we'll go from there. But I guess bottom line, to wrap it all up, I don't really want to see them go crazy bringing back intermediate tracks. Okay, Jay, your follow-up? Yeah, I, th- I think everybody kind of hit on the same point. So I was going to say I'm going to go through and, uh, and agree with E20 on some points. Um, but they kind of all got made throughout. Yeah, don't make a knee-jerk reaction. Oh, we want more of this. Let's go boom and go overboard with it. Uh, I know Mike used the word of the oversaturation. Too much of a good thing. I fully agree with that. Sharon, you brought up with the, the Roval and the Indianapolis road course. I understand Mike pointed out the need for it at the Roval. Uh, again, the racing wasn't great. They weren't drawing the crowd, same as at Bristol. Um, but I've always been a fan of, again, if we go to Canadian Tire Motorsports Park, Road America, Road Atlanta, and there's, I'm not sure of the name, but there's a road course in uh, Virginia. Go to an actual, if you want to get wild and crazy, add Laguna Seca. I know we've talked about that, of just totally Mm -hmm. out there, but whether or not it'd work. There are road courses out there, and that leads into then the debate about multiple races at the same track. And that, too, I understand logistics and cost if you only have one race per year, but then rotate it of every other year if you're willing to change the schedule every year. You know, Charlotte gets uh, the 600, loses their date, but then next year they get two races or whatever. And, and I know there's a lot that goes into it, logistics and cost, and, you know, um, two companies that own majority of the tracks, and they're not just willingly going to let uh, one of their dates go. But I think that's something to look at. Uh, you know, and there's other tracks, whether you talk about Chicagoland, 
Iowa Speedway has never gotten a NASCAR date. Uh, you could consider that. I know that one gets talked about with the uh, All-Star Race before North Wilkesboro stepped, uh, stepped in. There's a lot of options. And then lastly, the point from, uh, from Andy I wanted to, don't now go away from road coursing or short track because the car's not working on it. Work on improving it so that it does match up and find a balance. Um, and that goes back to, to Mike's original with the way the car was, and I think it was Larry Mack uh, detailed that of the anticipation of it would be a road course racing style car like the Trans Am because the center of gravity, the driver's seat did not go dead center, um, but it was moved a little more to the right for several reasons that they really did anticipate that being more of a road course style fit. And ironically, somehow it matched up better on the mile and a half now. And we there again, we knew that, uh, and I've, I know I wasn't as harsh a critic, but the mile and a half were suffering. Uh, you know, I can't dispute that. I, I never called any of them a bad race or a sleeper or a snoozer, but there was some improvement needed to be made to improve that, whereas they were good on the short track and the road course. Now it's for whatever reason kind of switched around. Again, don't then go, okay, we're going to go all mile and a half. No, we've been through that. You know, there's a reason we changed away from that and it wasn't working. So don't go overboard and go that way. Continue to work on the car so that it matches up decently on all of them, as good as you can get. I think of it just like Pocono with the three corners. They said you're never going to have the car great in all three corners. Try and get it great in one and then good in the other two. So (laughs) work on that. Okay, Mike, your follow-up? I think really the only good solution here is to expand the schedule to 60, maybe 65 races. Um, Let's do (laughs) midweek races. Uh, I think that's really about the only thing. Let's go everywhere. Let's do everything. Let's make everyone, well, everyone but the teams and drivers. Let's make everyone else happy. Forget those guys. They they work for us, right? Oh, it's it's a grind as it is. Can you believe it? I mean, just, just us having to do shows, you know, we we wouldn't have time to do shows half the time. We would not, we, we would have too much to talk about. We, we already do. Anyway, but seriously, um, when I talk to fans of other disciplines of racing, and the, inevitably the debate comes out on what what type of racing is the best. And of course, I'm 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 in Team NASCAR. Always am. Always probably always will be. And the biggest point that I make in defense of NASCAR and advocating of why I believe that the NASCAR Cup Series is by far the best. Uh, for at least from a fan perspective and, and racing perspective, the best professional racing series in the world is because of the variety of different tracks that they go to. You look at a series like Formula One or IndyCar. IndyCar's got a little bit of variety, but uh, Australian V8 supercars, almost every other professional racing series in the world is very limited in the style of racing that they do. Formula One exclusively goes to road courses. IndyCar will go to predominantly road courses with an occasional oval thrown in versus you look at the NASCAR cup series, they race on intermediate ovals, short, uh, short tracks, uh, road courses, super speedways. They even have gone to dirt tracks now. And there is no other series in the world where you get that kind of variety as you do with the NASCAR cup series. And I would really hate to see too many eggs get shifted into one basket because the car just happens to be better right now by the time they mm-hmm. shift the schedule to capitalize on the strengths that we have right now in 2023, 
there is a very good chance that the dynamics of that car, for whatever reason, some sort of a rules change, one of the engineers in the back shop or one of the race teams figure something out, whatever it is, by the time they get the schedule shifted and in place, the car and the way that it drives could have completely changed. And now we have, sh- we have warped the schedule to cater to this one style of racing, be it 1.5-mile intermediate tracks, road courses, or anything else. We've completely warped the schedule to revolve around this one style of racing as a fad, and the, the car has left it behind. And I would really hate to see that because it puts us in a box like we were really all the way through the mid-'90s into probably the mid-20-teens where NASCAR was just stuck in this rut of a schedule that wouldn't go anywhere. And it was very heavy on the one-and-a-half-mile intermediates because so much money and time was spent in developing them, and we've finally broken that cycle. And I would really hate for us to see us see for us to fall back into that cycle of we're going to allow a certain style of racing to dominate it because we have decided that's what we want to do. I think having the variety that we have in the schedule is better for the sport, and it's better for us as fans watching it. I'm excited to see what the schedule is coming up here in hopefully less than a month. I'm sure we're going to be talking about it plenty then, but I hope we get to continue to see the variety that we've seen from the NASCAR Cup Series over the past five years or so. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that schedule, too. This is the month that that typically comes out, so um, watch for it sometime here in September. I'd be surprised if they let it go all the way to October. Uh, So we'll be talking about it soon. Uh, I don't have a whole lot more to add so andy uh you get the last word here uh yeah not a lot to follow up on just for your sake sharon just bring back chicagoland and i think everything will be okay (laughs) (laughs) okay um that means that it's time for jay jay you got a hot topic for us yeah we still got a couple that uh we can talk about and one of them uh, since Mike brought up uh, the Elliott one uh, I'll bring this one up I'm trying to find it the actual release uh, parts were on display of what the number 98 truck team did and it, Mike's Mike's words here I'm going to he's on here he can defend himself but the 98 truck might have just dethroned Denny Hamlin for the absolute stupidest self-inflected penalty of the year uh, they displayed the lug nuts. One of the lug nuts has a valve in it, I guess, that will release air. Here, let's see what the the illegal it, it, majestic Jay, valve. Jay, 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 Jay. It, it wasn't a lug yeah. nut. It was a valve stem cap, the little cover that you put on the valve stem when you put air in and out of the Oh, tire. yeah, you're right. Not You're right. I, I was going back to the lug nut deal of the mix-up of the lug nuts. So I'll go ahead and read it. Uh, the illegal majestic valve stem cap from Milwaukee on the right side of the picture, which we have, but um, comparing to the legal caps, it says NASCAR said they could hear air leaking from the tire in the pre-race tech, and a piece of metal in the center of the illegal one would allow it to eat. Um, So, yeah, they had a part on there designed to release air out of the tire through the valve stem and got caught. And Sharon, uh, I know you just sent me a message. I am not hearing you right now but you're obviously not disconnected. Well, you want to start the round then? Yeah. um, Mike, why don't you go ahead and start? Uh, Sharon's apparently having audio issues, but I know she's not disconnected or we'd all get disconnected. So go ahead, Mike. 
so yeah, you, you kind of stole my quote of this is the stupidest self-inflicted penalty I've ever seen ever, ever. I mean, honestly, if you're going to cheat, and I'm not advocating cheating here, but if you're going to cheat with something like that that could easily be removed and reinstalled, why would you ever roll that through tech? That is incredibly dumb. Why don't you roll the truck through tech with legal valve stem covers, have them check the truck, okay, you're good, yay, verily, you're good to go, and then while you're checking the air pressure of the tires before you roll out for qualifying or whatever, you sneaky, sneaky, you put your cheated up valve stem covers on there after you get done checking the tire pressure. I, I mean, why? I mean, you got to be smarter than that if you're going to cheat. But I, I guess the 98 team wasn't, so they got caught and they got penalized. But, yeah, that was, I mean, that was a forehead slapper when I saw that one. Maybe there's something here that I'm not understanding. But from my perspective, uh, having, I, I've run tech before. I've run my own car through tech before. If you're going to pull games, you've got to be smarter than that because you're going to get caught, man. All right. Go ahead, Andy. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, um, you know, I I got to agree with uh, Mike, and this is something that was mentioned uh, over the weekend in our in our hot topics. Is if you're gonna if you're gonna go through tech, you you probably shouldn't have a, a valve stem in which the officials can hear the air leaking. So yeah, huge oversight on their part. Um, you know, obviously, I put that squarely on the team members, the car chief, whoever is responsible for that truck. I think it would be the car chief. Uh, or the truck chief, I guess, you know, obviously a huge oversight and a huge penalty. And, you know, I don't know about what that, what they've been doing this season, you know, everywhere. Obviously they were crazy fast at uh, at Richmond and IRP. And then it's like when they got caught with that penalty at, um, at uh, Milwaukee, it kind of took the wind out of their sails. They, I don't know what happened to them at Kansas, I have to go back and watch all three races tomorrow, so I guess I'll have a better idea. But they didn't finish very well. I don't know if they had adversity or not. But obviously, you know, that penalty is big, and that could that could alter their, their course of the playoffs. I think a couple, three weeks ago, they seemed to me like a championship favorite. Now I'm not so sure just because of the fact that they got caught, you know, and they've struggled, you know, in the last two races. So, Obviously unfortunate. You don't want to see things like that happen, but it's self-inflicted. They, they did it to themselves, and and obviously, um, you know, just a tough scenario. So, uh, yeah, note to self: if you're if you're going to do that, which you shouldn't anyway, but if you're going to do it, don't get caught. All right. Well, uh, again, Sharon is having some uh, some type of difficulty there, so. Um, yeah, this is one, and you would think too, if you were going to try something. Obviously, they thought that it was hidden as far as uh, not being noticeable. But you would think, too, that they would have noticed, hey, it's leaking air. We can hear it. If we can hear it, NASCAR can hear it. Don't try it. And, and uh, you know, especially in the playoffs. And the more I see this, um, it's kind of uh, caught me off guard of not just if you're in the playoffs and everything, but it wasn't within the tire itself, but attached to it. And, you know, Mike mentioned it when it when it happened. One of the top three, uh, and Mike, what I, I know it was tires, engines, oh, and, the, and certain parts of the body um, uh, that you just don't mess with. There you go. That's right. There you go. Fuel. Uh, tires, engines, and fuel. And to me, 
not only was it not a level one, it was a level two, and they got the low end of the possibility of penalty on the level two. So I really feel like they super got away with it. Uh, again, we talked about the penalty didn't even really hurt them, at least not as of yet when it comes to points, because they got to advance anyhow. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, they got away with something there, uh, even getting caught. So that kind of blew my mind, the fact that it was, like I said, it wasn't in the tire itself. It was the add-on to the tire, so it was on that edge. But I think they had to consider themselves very lucky um, that they weren't just outright removed from the playoffs because that was really close to treading on the, on those three. So, and, and like I said, you guys said it, uh, you go through with tech that something's obviously visible or noticeable that they'll find. And if something's making noise that shouldn't be, you know, they're going to look into it. Mike, you get a second round here. So Andy brings up a really good point about a, a penalty that seemingly should be isolated to one incident uh, potentially derailing the momentum for the whole team. Think back to Ryan Blaney back in, I want to say it was 2018, 2019, somewhere in that range. For the first race of the playoffs, that team was found to have illegal baluster, improperly secured ballast. There's always a debate of, did they accidentally leave it in there? Were they caught playing games? Either way. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.